Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. And just like the gentleman of InSync said, it is May. It is May 1st to be exact. My father's birthday. Just want to throw that out there. Happy birthday, Pops. But what we are doing today is taking a look back at the 2016 NFL Draft, the three-day experience. And for anybody that follows my main man, Maurice Moten, you know that he's got about uh, an hour and a half of sleep over the past three days because he's been all Raiders all the time. So we're going to talk to Mo in depth about the NFL draft that was. We're going to bring up what I can't believe is that the first round of the NBA playoffs are still going on. I believe I said it would take three weeks and yet here we are. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about a passion of mine and something that's got my bo- my blood boiling as always, PEDs in Major League Baseball. So it's going to be a fantastic show. We're not going to hit on as many topics as we typically do because we're going to just get so in-depth into the, the creamy middle part of the importance that has gone on this week in the world of sports. But before we do that, let's bring in my main man, Mo Moten. Mo, have, you, uh, have your eyelids completely shut or, or how are we doing today? Yeah, first of all, I want to say happy birthday to Mr. Calandrillo. Thank you. That's the first thing. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've been, I've been all over the draft been following me i've been on the draft raiders the new york teams i've been following them everything from rounds one to seven i know mike feels rounds four to seven are pointless mm-hmm. but they're just as important because a lot of quality players fell to the fourth round and the raiders made a questionable decision that i'm probably going to rail on today sure but, um, yeah, yeah that, that's besides the point but the draft was really exciting this year i think mel Kuyper jr and todd mcshade said that this is one of the most unpredictable drafts. I mean, you had a first round fall. You had uh, two injured players not going on the first in the first round, but then going in the second. You had a surprise number three overall pick after the top two quarterbacks came off the board. The Raiders made some questionable picks that I I got heat for on Twitter for criticizing. We'll talk about <laughs> that again later. But all in all, I would say this is an exciting draft. I wish the draft was still in New York City. I wouldn't obviously go to all seven rounds, but I would definitely go to the first round. I wasn't a uh, beat writer or an NFL reporter at the time, so when when they were in New York, so it's it's kind of it's kind of heart hurting heart hurting to see the draft flourish in Chicago with all of this suspense, all of the things unfolding, and it, it was it was a special event. And NFL knows how to put special events on TV for everyone to consume. They really did. It was quite the quite the spectacle over three days. And um, yeah, you were right. Four through seven, meh. I mean, Mr. Irrelevant, really? Like, come on, dude. We really got to bring out a jersey with uh, the, the three-digit number on the back. But that's rather, uh, it's not rather important. What we're going to do is we are going to speak upon the meat and potatoes of the draft. So, Mo, let's, we're not going to bore everybody with every pick. Let's talk about what we found to be good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Let's start with what you feel. Let's, go, let's just go with the good stuff. Let's go with the best picks in, in your eyes, and we'll talk about what we feel is a good fit and, su- and such. Let's go with the best picks in the draft. Okay, best picks in the draft. Um, I really felt like the Jaguars are going to be a great team this year. I, okay, I won't say playoffs, but they had a very strong draft. Jalen Ramsey fell to them at number five. 
because the Dallas Cowboys decided to take Ezekiel Elliott, and of course Joey Bosa went number three to the Chargers. Now, I told people from the beginning, I don't see the Chargers taking Jalen Ramsey. They spent a lot of money on their cornerbacks. Jalen Ramsey has come out, he spoke to Deion Sanders and said that he wants to play cornerback. So there's no way the Chargers are going to take him with all the money they spent at the cornerback position. I thought the Chargers were going to go with DeForest Buckner because obviously their defensive line was pretty much trash last year. They were ranked number 27 against the run. But they decided to go with Joey Bosa, who who plays the same position, but he, people say he was a little undersized and he he wasn't as a, he wasn't as fast. He's not really a pure four three defensive end. They're probably gonna stand they're probably gonna put him on the line. Uh, some people said they, they should stand him up. We we'll see how that works out. But again, I I thought the Forrest Buckner was a better pick because he was the prototypical three four DE. He is six seven. But he, he's a run stopper, and he had 12 and a half sacks at Baylor before he declared for the draft. That kind of surprised me. But again, Jalen Ramsey to the Jaguars. He pairs up with Prince Mukamara, who signed there in the offseason. They have two really good cornerbacks now. Dante Fowler gets back on track. They also grabbed Miles Jack in the second round, so that's going to be interesting. They're going to have three high-profile players playing their rookie year, basically, in the upcoming season. It'll be interesting to see how the Jaguars pan out. Another pick that I like that was kind of underrated, Sheldon Rankins to the Saints. I prayed so much to him, you know, for him to fall to the Raiders. He didn't. Uh, he was the best defensive tackle on the list at CBSports.com. The Saints got him. He'll pair with Nick Fairley in the middle. I always get on the Saints for having a weak defense, a very soft defense. But now they're gonna be they're gonna be tough up front with their front four. They have Cameron Jordan rushing off the edge. As I, as I said, Sheldon Rankins is now in the middle with Nick Fairley, who they signed in free agency. The Saints are a team to watch out for defensively. Drew Brees can't do it all by himself. Of course, Drew Brees did get help with Michael Thomas. That was an underrated pick for the Saints in, in the in the mid-rounds on day two. Mm-hmm. Very good pick to get him help. The guy's getting older. The Saints got him help on defense and offense. So that two underrated moves there. Two good, really good moves there. Uh, Tunsil falling to Miami. Uh, I wouldn't call that a great move, but for the value of how he plays, he, I mean, the guy was the number one overall pick for the Titans at one point, and he falls all the way to 13. Obviously, because of his uh, social media escapades, he was uh, seen with the bong, smoking. Then you had him asking for money from, from I believe it was a coach at Ole Miss. NCAA will be knocking on their door soon, but I think Miami made out pretty well as far as talent. If he could stay in the league and not get in trouble, it's a great pick. Uh, I want to move down the draft to the bottom of the draft where where people probably don't look as a, you know, oh, it's not a great pick, but the Denver Broncos getting Paxton Lynch at number 26. I believe they traded up for him from 31 to 26. That was a great pick. Uh, they needed a corner. They needed a quarterback. And John Elway said his pursuit of Colin, Colin Kaepernick is over. So basically, Kaepernick is stuck in San Francisco on an island, and it, I don't know where he ends up now because I felt like the San Francisco 49ers would get Paxton Lynch, which would facilitate a trade, Kaepernick going to Denver. That's not going to happen now. Denver has another 6'7 quarterback to replace Brock Osweiler, who was also 6'7. So I found that pretty interesting. Paxton Lynch, rea- his reaction to being drafted was, was just really raw cried his eyes out, and that's what it's all about. Players realizing their dreams are achieved. He was a first-round pick. A lot of people didn't think he was a first-round pick. I said all along that he was. And when he got his name called, I was happy for him, and to see his reaction was refreshing. 
Uh, the, I'll say one more thing because I know Mike wants to talk here and I'm hogging <laughs> it. But uh, look, listen, I was up, I was up all day doing this, so I got, I'm doing this off the top of my head. But uh, Robert Kandichi to the Arizona Cardinals was a great pick. He came in, he came into the league uh, with red flags. Of course, he had the incident where he fell out the window, and people were saying, you know, teams should stay away from him, stay away from him at the top of the draft. I felt the team like Arizona would pick him up because Arizona is basically stacked. Their defense is stacked. Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, they picked up Chandler Jones in the offseason in a trade with the Patriots. This is a team that that could probably pick up Robert Kavici, and even if he doesn't pan out, let's say he smokes weed in his rookie year and he's suspended. The Cardinals are still stacked. I mean, they got killed by the Carolina Panthers in the postseason last year. But Josh Norman is not there anymore, so I feel like the Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers are the favorites in the NFC and the NFC to make it out against the Patriots, probably, even with Tom Brady's suspension, which we'll talk about later. But the Cardinals uh, did a good job with Robert Kibnichi, and if he pans out, watch out for the Cardinals because they are probably Super Bowl-bound. Now, I'll let you have the floor, Mike. I'm sorry I had to get all of that off my chest. I spoke for like five, <laughs> ten minutes, but listen, I cover the draft, and I have all this in my brain. It's just there for you, so... Now I'll shut up now and let you take over the floor. Hey. What did you like about the draft? What did I like? Well, for, well first of all, for a guy that uh, that didn't get any sleep, uh, very impressed. Very, very amazing job. I'm sure your articles are, are even more enlightened because uh, you were just on it. So great job with that. Uh, I'll go through mine quick. I love Joey Bosa. I think it's a great pick. One, because it screwed up everybody's mock drafts. And I'll talk about mock drafts later. But uh, I, I think the Joey Bosa draft pick was, was, was a really good safe pick. Yeah, you spoke about that he's not necessarily a 3-4 linebacker, he's more of a 4-3, but I mean, when a guy has 120 tackles, I feel like you can really put him just about anywhere on a linebacking core, and he's going to dominate, and let's face it, San Diego defense was really poor last year, Phillip Rivers had to put up over 40 points a game for them to just stay in the, in each contest, so this this pick is really going to help that, that secondary that also lost Eric Weddle this year. So I really like that. Um, we all know I'm not a huge Cowboy fan, but uh, I think the Ezekiel Elliott pick, yes, maybe at four it was a little high, but he if the Cowboys wouldn't have taken him at four, he wasn't going to last much longer. Uh, look, the Cowboys... Darren McFadden, he's nice. He's not gonna read. He's not gonna do what he did last year. Alfred Morris, he's not an every down back. He proved that. Uh, he hasn't been the same player since his rookie year. Uh, I don't know if he is better than Emmett Smith, as Emmett Smith seems to be proclaiming. And don't even get me started on that crop top suit that he wore. That was horrible, horrible. But the kid can play. I mean, they've got a fantastic offensive line in Dallas. Uh, it pains me to say that. And this guy's going to be good. He's going to be really good. I don't know if he's ever going to live up to to the uh, to the huge uh, pressure that's being put on him to be the next Emmett Smith, but it's a good pick. Again, it was a safe pick, but it was a smart pick. Uh, I love Will Fuller. Uh, yes, I'm a Notre Dame guy, but I think Will Fuller being the fastest guy in the combine, 4'3", 240, you pair him on the opposite side of, you know, the top one of the top three wide receivers in the league in DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, look, yes, I understand he's had his drops before, but... If he can get over that, he's going to stretch the field. He's going to allow DeAndre to no longer be uh, double-teamed because you also picked up Braxton Miller later on, the converted quarterback from Ohio State. Another guy, a solid slot receiver, not afraid to go over the middle. He's, he's, a, he's a big body. So I love what Houston did. They've got themselves an entirely new wide receiver core. Uh, I really think that it's just going to make Osweiler that much stronger. Obviously, they did add, add Lamar Miller. I love what they're doing on that offense. They're going to be a team to really compete 
with especially with that defense that was already in play that was you know rather fantastic last year. A uh, couple couple quick notes: Ronnie Stan- Stanley going to uh, Baltimore. Obviously, we heard reports that they might have taken Tunsil if that picture didn't come out. Regardless, Stanley's a solid guy. I mean, this is a guy that could be another Jonathan Ogden play 10, 12 years. He's going to protect Joe Flacco because Flacco basically has to get on a hoverboard to get any kind of movement out of the pocket these days. Uh, Jake Conklin was really hoping he was going to fall to the Giants. He did not. Why? Well, because the Tunsil thing. So Conklin, again, solid, solid guy. He's going to keep Mariota in the league at least four extra years because he got destroyed last year on that offensive line that was non-existent. And Conklin could play pretty much all four positions on the offensive line. Really important. Same goes for Ryan Kelly to Indy. Andrew Luck, my goodness, this guy, he, he couldn't breathe without a ventilator last year. He got hit so many times, and he missed <laughs> most of the season. So, Ryan Kelly, solid pick. Everybody needs a fantastic center. Remember when Jeff Saturday was there uh, with Peyton Manning way back when? It was a great combination. So, Indy did the right thing. Kenny Clark at Green Bay, really smart. Defensive tackle. B.J. Raji's taking a year off. I think he's pregnant. So, this is really important because you lose B.J. Raji. You lose a lot of that upfront pressure to let those linebackers loose. Uh, you spoke about Michael Thomas. Okay, not the smartest guy in the world. GPA, reading routes, all of that good stuff. But he's a big body. I mean, isn't he the cousin or nephew of, of Chris Carter? So, I mean, or is it Keyshawn Williams? One of those guys. Regardless, Keyshawn. Keyshawn. Give him the damn ball. Yeah, give him the damn ball. But regardless, he's a big body. Uh, Drew Brees needs all the help he can because it seems like New Orleans decides to trade his his favorite receiver or tight end every other season. So that was a nice pick. I'm in the minority. I really like Derrick Henry, the former Heisman winner to Tennessee. Uh, people are going to say, well, it wasn't a needed pick. They had so many other holes. I get that. But when's the last time that Tennessee had two running backs that were any good? Uh, never. They they haven't had a solid running game since the you know uh, CJ two K left and that was a that was five six years ago so this uh, this guy's a bull yes he's ran probably more at Alabama than most guys will run their entire NFL career but he's not going to be asked to carry the carry the weight this year so you got Demarco Murray let him you know hit the corners let this guy pound the ball from the goal line do his thing I think it's gonna you know make his career that much better. Uh, longevity is uh, always an issue with these running backs. I think it was a solid pick in the second round. Uh, I love C.J. Procise, another Notre Dame guy, but obviously Marshawn Lynch is in Haiti building homes. Uh, pat on the back to you, uh, Marshawn. It's a fantastic thing to be doing. So he's not coming back this year, and we saw Thomas Rawls broke his ankle. So Seattle needed a running back. At least to compliment Rawls, uh, you know, hopefully Rawls comes back and he's a player that he showed, uh, you know, which was really awesome before that broken ankle. Look, I mean, look at ProSize's number, 1,337 yards from scrimmage and 12 TDs at Notre Dame for a guy that came in and as a converted defensive back wide receiver, didn't really have a position for him. So this guy's the real deal. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame running backs are always a little bit questionable because they don't seem to pan out, but I really like what ProSize can do, and I'm winded right now. So let's move on to uh, let's move on to our reach picks. I know you, ba- you talked a little bit about a guy like Tunsil, and I'll give you my input on him just in a moment but give me a couple of your guys that were either picked way too soon uh picked for teams that didn't need them necessarily or guys that just were flat out uh, uh, connor cook oh wow interesting really hard shot at the raiders there but, yeah um, yeah um i the first reach pick obviously was the giants at number 10 i feel like they needed a linebacker or a running back yes of course um Ezekiel other came off the board and you weren't going to pick Derrick Henry at number 10, but they, they could have, you know, fortified their offensive line. 
And I feel like the offensive line and linebacker were 1-1-A. One and, one and then they went with Eli Apple. And I'm just like, mm, I don't know about that pick. Yeah. I had some fun with Eli Apple. Scouts came out and said that he can't cook, so it may drop his draft stock. And I said, look, if he goes to the right team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, you can get the guy an easy-bake oven. Yep. You know, I don't care if he can make a, can't make a hot pocket or boil water. Get the guy <laughs> on the team. He's a big he's a big body, and I think he'll be a good cornerback. But I just don't feel he was needed for the Giants, and I feel like they reached for him at number ten. I just did not get that pick. Yes, again, Ronnie Stanley came off the board. Ezekiel Elliott came off the board. Jack Conklin, as you said, came off the board. But they could have got Taylor Decker. They could have traded back, got Taylor Decker, who who I believe landed with Detroit Lions, if I'm not mistaken. And I mocked him correctly, by the way. You you took a shot at mock drafts. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back to reach picks real quick. Yeah, please mock do. Mock drafts are important. Mock drafts are important for me because I learned a lot about these prospects by doing these mock drafts. I you know, I actually thought my mock draft was pretty solid. And then once Joey Bosa came off the board at number three, I kind of just threw it away. But uh, the mock drafts are important for me as a writer because I get to learn about all of these prospects and just yap off about it with you on this podcast. But anyway, back to my reading. No, no, I, I get that. I totally understand that. And I know it's important. It does. It gives a lot of insight to a lot of guys that we don't get to see all year long. Right. But for a guy like Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay to make a living off of taking a hypothesis from now until we get to the draft, it's kind of absurd because nine times out of ten, they're dead wrong. Because when a guy like Joey Bosa comes off the board, it screws everybody up. And I heard something a couple weeks ago that there was a GM in the NBA, and he said that he follows these mock drafts to a T. That's kind of scary because I could be a GM then. And so I just follow the mock drafts, and I have a little bit insight into what goes on. Just, there's got to be more of a science to it than, well, this guy works here, so I'm going to pick him here, and I'm going to make a ton of money from ESPN. I, I don't... I don't quite get that because, again, one guy gets taken, Joey Bosa, it kind of puts a Michigan State in your uh, in your dra- in your in your bracket there and totally screws everything up. But that's neither here nor there. I'll let you get back to it. And, and another thing I want to say about uh, Eli Apple, um, I don't understand the pick. You just gave Janoris Jenkins like $60 million. You have Dominique Rom- uh, Cro- Rogers Cromarty who – is by all intents and purposes a number one corner. So you've taken a top 10 pick to be a nickelback? Yeah, I think that's a sign of what the NFL is today. And I think Todd Bechet and Mel Kuyper Jr. said this yesterday. If you notice, a lot of big defensive linemen fell to the second round. A lot of these defensive linemen were, were slated to go in the first round, but they fell to like mid-second round. And I can even feel Andrew Billings fell all the way to the third day in the draft, and he was slated to go in the first or second round. He's out of, he's out of Baylor. And he was a pretty good uh, pass rusher. And he again, he fell to the third day. We had guys like Chris Jones who went to the to day one of the draft thinking he could get drafted in the first round. Turns out he falls to the Chiefs in the second round, early second round. But again, he came on the first day thinking I could go in the first round. And it didn't happen. So I believe. And, oh, one more thing. Reggie Ragland, who was mocked to the Raiders by like 50 percent of these mock drafts, falls to the Buffalo Bills at number 10 in the second round. He's a two down thumper. He doesn't cover well. So, again, that just goes to show you that the NFL is is becoming a really pass-heavy league, and quarterbacks are valued over defensive linemen, especially if the defensive lineman struggles to rush the passer. Teams are more willing to take a nickel corner than a big D lineman at 300 pounds. But I get your your angst about Eli Apple again. I I just felt the Giants could have went elsewhere. I would have... If I were the Giants, I would have taken Darren Lee. I know Darren Lee went to the Jets, but to me, he went to the wrong New York team. I like him for the Jets, 
But the Giants needed him as well because, again, that linebacker court was just was pretty much non-existent last year. Teams were running to the second level and weren't getting tackled by their linebackers. And they also had injuries. Devon Kennard is pretty good, but he missed half the season almost. So the Giants were pretty much of a head-scratcher. Uh, people laughed at San Francisco for trading up for a guard. I actually had Joshua Garnett as the best guard in his draft class over Cody White here, but um, people were saying, well, why, why trade up for a guard? Maybe other teams coveted him, and that's why they traded up for him. At first, I thought it was a reach, but then I thought about it, and I said, well, if they really like him, you know, why not go for him? Because he, he did have a sec- early second-round grade, and they got him at the end of the first, so it's not much of a reach to me. Uh, one pick for the Raiders, uh, Carl Joseph. Initially, I didn't like the pick because I felt like they could have got him you know, late first round, trade back, early second round. But I also understand that you need a trade partner and a trade back just doesn't happen automatically because you want it. You have to find a partner at the right spot so you don't miss your prospect. The Raiders really need a strong safety. They really need it because Nate Allen got hurt last year. He's on a one-year deal. That position is the missing link to a complete secondary. They brought in Reggie Nelson, who's going to be the ball hawk. They brought in Sean Smith, who's going to be the number one cornerback. Anderson had a great year last year. He should have another good year in a contract year. So I feel like Carl Joseph was actually a need-based pick. People talk about BPA, which means best player available approach. And the Raiders did not go with BPA. They had Shaq Lawson on the board, who I thought would have been a great pick. I thought they might have taken a chance on Miles Jack, but obviously that didn't happen. 31 teams passed on him, so that tells you something about his medicals. But back to Joseph, I feel like he's the he's the missing link in Oakland. It's a great pick. Yes, I know he tore his AC in October at West Virginia, but he was a leader in West Virginia last year. Joe Clyde of Fox Sports spoke about it. When he heard him, when he, when he, when he tore his ACL, his teammates basically teared up because this was a guy who put his on the field. He's a heavy hitter and he can cover. He had about I believe five interceptions in four games before he tore his ACL in October last year. So he can cover. He's not just a heavy hitter, not just a leader, but he can play He can play free safety. I know they have Reggie Nelson there, but he's on a two-year deal so after he's gone, I believe Joseph is going to be the leader in that secondary. He's going to be the guy lining people up, hitting people, swiping interceptions, I love the pick. At first, I was lukewarm on it, but I have to give it an A. So I know you had a bit on Joseph. Um, he's a bit undersized, of course. He's 5'10", 205 pounds. So the only worry is we hope that his body holds up in the NFL. Of course, you can deliver those big hits on a college level against people on your level. But when you get to those big bodies, NFL wide receivers are coming in bigger and faster. You spoke about Michael Thomas, who's a big body, about 6'3", over 200 pounds. Is he going to withstand those hits? Um, he got injured in practice, so his tackling wasn't the problem why he got hurt. It was a non it was a non-contact drill where he tore his ACL. But we just hope that a 5'10, 205-pound safety can hold up. We look to Earl Thomas as an example. Eerily, very strange tidbit that I found out. Earl Thomas was drafted number 14 overall to the Seattle Seahawks. Carl, Carl Thomas goes number 14 overall to the Oakland Raiders. They're hoping that he's Earl Thomas, the second coming. I think he can be. Uh, he said he'll be ready to go at training camp at, at his pro day. We'll see what happens. It, again, it was a great pick by the Raiders. I spent a lot of time on that because, of course, I'm a Raiders writer. But um, another thing that happened that made me feel good about that pick, Keanu Neal going to the Falcons. 
Now, I think if Carl Joseph was still on the board, Falcons probably would have got him at 17. So, again, that negates the fact that it was a reach because the Falcons obviously felt the need to get a safety at number 17. And safeties do. Typically, the first safety comes off the board mid to late uh, first round. I would say between 14 and maybe 27 or 14 to the end of the first round, whenever it is. But, again, uh, Oakland made a good move. Falcons, I didn't like Keanu Neal uh, too much. Uh, I felt like he was a heavy hitter, but not much production on his college film tape. Uh, another reach. Uh, not really a reach. I know you spoke glowingly about Will Fuller, mm-hmm. and I know you, you mentioned his drops, his drops issue. I felt like the, the Texans should have gone with Josh Doxson out of the TCU. I think he was the best com- or most complete wide receiver in this draft class. Yes, Laquan Treadwell was there, but of course we know about his speed limitations. But he, he's a big body with strong hands. But Josh Doxson is the best of both worlds. He's over 6 feet, 200 pounds, and he has good hands. If you watch TCU's offense when he went down with a, with a wrist injury, I believe, it was a totally different offense. And he goes to Washington to help Kirk Cousins, which I think is great for Kirk Cousins. I'm not a huge Kirk Cousins guy. No, you're not. But I think he's, you know, I'm, I'm not a Kirk Cousins guy. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I am. But he's going to have Josh Doxton and Deshaun Jackson on the perimeter, which is a great, a great, great, great move. I feel like the Carolina Panthers missed with Vernon Butler at number 30. I felt like they should have uh, drafted basically Josh Norman's replacement at that spot. They didn't. They went with a D, D lineman. Uh, maybe he can provide a pass rush. I don't know. I would have even went with a right tackle in that position. Jermaine Fetty went to went to the Seahawks with the next pick because Mike Remmers is not a solidified product there. So I feel like the Carolina Panthers missed in their first round pick. Not a huge, not a huge reach, but a miss in, in my opinion. All right, my turn. You know, there's nothing I like more than ripping players, teams, you, anyone, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with Carl Joseph because you spoke, uh, you know, so lovingly about him. Uh, you so you drafted Bob Sanders. Congratulations, you got it. Hey, wait, wait, before you go, before you go, yeah. I'm supporting Carl Joseph. He's a, he's an undersized guy, and me being an undersized podcaster, oh, no. we have to stick together. Carl Joseph, welcome to Mo Money, yeah. Mo Buckets. Yeah. You meet the height requirement: five mm-hmm. ten, two hundred five pounds. I'm not 205 pounds, no, but I'm getting there. I'm not trying. even close. Go ahead. Um, so, but no, remember Bob Sanders played with the Colts for like three seasons, and then he was too short, and just because he could hit, he couldn't cover. Uh, yeah, that that's what you have. But moving on, because you spoke about all the wonderful things about him, I just don't see why he went so high when he was a mock draft, late second, early third round guy. But that's neither here nor there. I really, really didn't like Artie Burns of uh, the Hurricanes to Pittsburgh. I know Pittsburgh needed to help the defense, but at 25, he was a day two player. Uh, And this guy loves to hold. You know, that whole five yards, let go of the wide receiver thing doesn't apply to Artie Burns. He will hold you. He will mug you. He will pull you to the ground because he's not the smartest player. So this guy's got a lot to learn. You know, obviously, Pittsburgh has a lot of great coaches there. So hopefully they can right the ship with him. Um, Shaq Lawson, you spoke. He would have been a great Raider. Unfortunately, he went to a team which is so convoluted in so many different ways. He goes to Buffalo. He's probably going to need another shoulder surgery he's undersized are you gonna is he a linebacker is he a defensive end uh you put him with rex ryan rex ryan makes me nauseous still to this day because it seems like he just takes clemson players because he loves clemson his best friend is the clemson head coach his son goes to clemson he's a holder a slash wide receiver uh i don't love him there uh besides the fact they also took cardell jones that gives you now three 
quarterbacks that are all undeveloped. Tyrod Taylor, EJ Manuel, and now Cardell Jones. I'm so confused of what they've got going on there. There's not one guy I would want as my starting quarterback. But regardless, it did seem like Tyrod showed some signs of life last year. But So I'm not really sure what you're going to do unless you're going to make Cardell, I don't know, a small scat back. Uh, he's wide enough, but I don't know really what else he can bring to the table because he didn't really... He didn't really play that much besides, you know, the two games that got them to the national title in his, you know, redshirt freshman year, which was great, but that was really small sample size. Um, Laquan, we talked about Treadwell. Yeah, big guy, not much speed. I don't know if he was taken by Minnesota because they know that Teddy uh, Ballgame and Bridgewater there doesn't consistently get the ball down the field. Uh, it, look, he'll go over the middle like a Kyle Rudolph. He'll open up, hopefully for Stefan Diggs, open up the field, but I don't love the pick because... Bridgewater just hasn't been consistent enough. I know he got to the playoffs, but come on, let's be honest. They got there on Adrian Peterson and what that defense they defense did, not what's not what Ted Bridgewater did and the rest of that offense. So I don't know how much of a fit Treadwell was. Uh, Darren Lee, you said went to the wrong New York team. Totally agree. He's not better than anything that the Jets have on their offensive line. Uh, excuse me, defensive line. They needed an upgrade at other positions. They didn't do that. Sheldon Rankins, you said that too. Fine pick. Good guy out of Louisville. But dude, the same defense had so many holes that they should have traded down and picked up a couple more draft picks. Because you know, later on, they did good You know, getting, uh, getting the wide receiver from Ohio State and a couple other things. But I feel like Rankins would have been there three, four, five picks later on. And they just have so many holes that they need to figure out. We didn't, and I'm surprised this next guy you didn't bring up was Christian Hackenberg to the New York Jets. Look, we all know the Jets situation with quarterback. It's, it's been well documented. As of right now, oh God, Coach Bowles says that Geno Smith is going to be the quarterback. Oh, my goodness. That is so scary to even hear out of a head coach's mouth. Uh, Hackenberg had one good season his freshman year under Bill O'Brien at Penn State. He was miserable after that. And to me, I don't understand this pick because he is Ryan Mallett part do okay he's the same guy and uh if you remember bill o'brien had brian mallet that didn't work out this guy is just he's he's so fragile emotionally is even more so than physically he's gonna get chewed up and spit out by the new york media because there's gonna be pressure on them if for some reason they don't bring back ryan fitzpatrick and gino starts the year and the jets limp out of the gate they're gonna want to throw this kid to the lions and it's just not gonna work I still like Bryce Petty. I don't know why he didn't get an actual opportunity to at least show what he can do. He was fantastic at Baylor. I understand he's not the most mobile of quarterback, but I would have at least given him a shot before spending a second-round pick on Hackenberg, who just has a ton of questions. So those are my those are my questionable picks, Mo. Uh, what I want to ask you now and what I feel is, is really important is let's fast-forward five years into the future. Who are is the best or are the best players that will come out of this draft in five years? Well, uh, I think Jared Goff is in a great position with, with the Rams. I know he's the number one overall pick, so they're saying, duh. But I, I like I really like the spot because he's got Todd Gurley in that defense. And I, think, I don't think he's going to be Andrew Luck, but I think when you look back on it, you're going to see why he was the number one pick. I don't think Carson Wentz has the same fate in Philly only because, number one, he doesn't have a running pack behind him. Oh. Yeah, they drafted Wendell Smallwood in the fifth round, but him and Ryan Matthews together, I, I don't really know about that. What about Carson Darren Sproles? What about Darren Sproles? Darren Sproles is like 80 years old. I mean, come on. And he's the same height as me at 200 pounds. Yeah, I, but, I love my yeah, small but you're, guys. You guys are so good. You're so quick. You're so fast. 
Wait, yeah, but he's like 80 again. When I'm 80, I'm not going to be on the show, and I'm not going to be darting through traffic as a, as a football character. So, Philadelphia, sit Carson Wentz for a couple years until you get some more parts around him. Uh, I think Ezekiel Elliott would be pretty good. You spoke about him earlier being, you know, comparing him to Emmitt Smith. He's not Emmitt Smith. I think he'd be pretty good because that Dallas offensive line will make him look great. He was already a great prospect, but behind that line, he's going to put up monster numbers. Please, if you if you're participating in fantasy football, draft this guy at the top of your draft without question. Uh, I think Vernon Hargraves. I'm going to go with Vernon Hargraves in Tampa Bay. I think he's going to be a pretty good cornerback again. I got to stick with my undersized guys. He's a 5'10", 200-pound cornerback. And people said, well, he's too short to be a pure cornerback in this league. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. There are some good shorter guys that, that you know, made a difference in this league. Darryl Green wasn't that tall. Um, Vernon Hargraves will be fine. The people picked apart his tape and said he didn't have a great senior year. But, I mean, come on. Think about it. What he, what, look at his whole body of work. And I think he'll translate well in the NFL. I think they're I hoping that about, he's like a Rondé Barber type. I, I, you know what? I think I think so. And I think he's he's going to be – he's going to obviously have his struggles early in his career. Tampa Bay's secondary isn't exactly loaded. Horrible. But, he may, yeah, he makes it better. He makes it a lot better. Yeah. I mean, Brett Grimes is across from him, so – as long as Miko Grimes stays uh, out of the picture, <laughs> I know I said her name. It's like Beetle, just Beetle, just Beetle. Uh, Voldemort, but... Voldemort, he who shall not be named. <laughs> and I know you're in Florida, so you're in more trouble than me. Oh, uh, but... <laughs> she gonna she gonna show up at my front door and be like, "What you say about my man?" <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be a sight to see. I apologize for that, Mike. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um. Um. I go with somebody that, that people are, are kind of banging on a little bit, Paxton Lynch. I think he's going to have a better career than Carson Wentz. Whoa. Yes, Carson Wentz number two, but I think Paxton Lynch in Denver, he's under your boy, John Elway. Yeah, he is. He's going to teach him how to be a great quarterback. Yep. Uh, Mark Sanchez is going to have the helm. I, I really like what Denver's doing because, number one, Mark Sanchez gets a chance to erase the butt fumble memory. You and the butt and he'll fumble. Start, he'll have a good season. He'll have. I think he'll have a good starting season. They'll win about 10 games and battle the Raiders for a playoff spot. Paxton Lynch is obviously the future. I think he he puts, he puts picks up the clipboard for his rookie season and then plays in his second year, depending on how Sanchez does. Maybe he sits for two years. But Paxton Lynch is in a great position. I think statistically, when we look back at it, 10 years down the line, we're going to say Paxton Lynch was a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. My buddy at NFL Spin Zone, Jeremy Klump, is going to kill me for that because he loves Carson Wentz. But uh, Paxton Lynch... Look out for him. He's going to have a great career. Um, second round. I don't want to bang on Christian Hackenberg yet. I'm not saying he's going to have a great career, Ugh. but I have to really look at his film. I know a lot of people hated the pick. Bleacher Report gave Christian Hackenberg an F for the Jets. And I, I don't know. Um, Chan Gailey has worked magic. We could, we saw what Christian Hackenberg could do when he's in the right position. When he's with Bill O'Brien at Pitt State, he flourished a bit. And then he kind of fell off a cliff, and people say he blamed that on his on his uh, his dive. But who knows? I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I say, you know, maybe he has something. I, I agree with you, though. I like Bryce Petty. I think the yeah. Jets should, should value Bryce Petty more than they do. I don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick comes back. I think he does on probably a one- or two-year deal which allows the Jets to kind of groom Christian Hackenberg. I don't know who who people hate more, Christian Hackenberg or Connor Cook, but I didn't like either pick for either team. My Jets and my Raiders both disappointed me with their quarterback picks. Didn't like either. But I'm willing to look at the film on Hackenberg and see where his where his fall points were, and, and I'll get back to you on that probably next episode. 
Uh, one underrated pick. I think Noah Spence turned his life around. This is a guy who got kicked out of Ohio State, got banned from the program. He was, I believe, involved with the drug. I won't say on air, but he was he the, was a drug user at the time. The drug banned from quotation the marks. The drug is that the, is that the drug that uh, Steph Curry's face is currently being uh, on? Is that that drug? Uh, I think it's a different drug. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a different. It's a different drug. Um, I don't want to make any allegations because you know there there are different parts out there. But uh-huh. basically, Noah Spence turned his life around. He again, he got kicked out of Ohio State, and he was productive. Um, he went to Eastern Kentucky, I believe. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers picked him up number eight in the second round. He was a first-round talent, but because of his red flags, he dropped a bit. But he could get after the quarterback, and I believe Tampa Bay is pretty going to be pretty good with him. Didn't like the fact that they got rid of Lovey Smith. I believe Lovey Smith would have been great for him as far as his, his personality and his defensive coaching would have been great for Noah Spence. They got rid of him, obviously, to promote Dirk Cutter to head coach rather than lose him. But uh, Noah Spence, when we look back, we're going to say, wow, this is a kid that had some red flags and really turned his life around. He really showed it when he played for Eastern Kentucky. No trouble, nothing from him. He got drafted. You didn't hear a peep. And I like the fact that this is a this is one of the good stories you hear at these NFL prospects. A guy turning his life around and making the best of his NFL career, hopefully. Hope he doesn't get into any trouble his rookie year and he has a clean career. I see him as, a, as an impact player for years to come. All right, so you hear it first. Mo Moten likes every draft pick except for Connor Cook. Awesome. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You know, I, I just want to say one thing. Uh-huh. One thing about Derrick Henry. Uh-huh. I, I, I've been known to, to be hard on him. Yep. But I like him with the Titans. I like what the Titans did. They have DeMarco Murray and they have Derrick Henry. Basically, they have they have, they had a finesse team. And now they got two hammers. These two guys are going to run in between the tackles and they're going to help out that, that offense. So it's not all all on Marcus Mariota. I think Derrick Henry's fellow teammate, fellow Alabama alum, uh, Kenyon Drake, has a better season, has a better career overall because the NFL, again, is a pass-happy league. It's all about quickness and being able to dominate in space. The Miami Dolphins made a great move to get Kenyon Drake in the third round. I Again, I like Derrick Henry's fit with Tennessee, but I think Kenyon Drake has a more productive overall career. Speaking of speaking of Drake, have you listened to uh, his new album Views? Yeah, I don't want to listen to his new album until he loses his team loses to to the Indiana, Indiana uh, Pacers, but we'll get to that pretty soon. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll accept that. Uh, but I did like the chinchilla coat that he's wearing in the back of that uh, that car. But yeah, regardless, um, I didn't like every draft pick, unlike you. But the ones I did like, <laughs> we spoke about. Uh, I was all you know me. I've been banging the Carson Wentz drum for the past I don't know month, two months. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, he started off his Philadelphia career the wrong way. I don't know if you saw the footage last night when he got into the philadelphia airport and uh some grown-ass men were trying to get his autograph which by the way if you're over the age of like 22 you should no longer try to get autographs from anyone uh right and he totally ignored them because i mean he had his headphones in and these dudes were getting super close super creepy and he had his bodyguards there and these guys started booing him and they're like we're already booing you went you suck <laughs> so the philly fans are horrible i mean these are the guys that booed santa claus they booed Michael Ir- or they cheered Michael Irvin when he had that horrible injury against them at the old vet uh so you're just starting your, your career off on the wrong foot my man Wentz and I feel like now they're just like the, the Philly fans are so like kind of backwards they are going to cheer on Bradford who by the way is no not even not returning the phone calls and texts 
uh, of uh, of Coach Doug Peterson. He's pulling a, a full DeAndre, and he's not pulling. He's not uh, picking up anybody's phone calls. Not any Philadelphia person, fan, friend, foe. Every so he's basically on an island. Uh, so you can you can thank DeAndre uh, Jordan of the Clippers for that. Uh, the pick you also spoke about. I love Pax. I like the Paxton Lynch draft pick. I didn't think I was going to, but where he went, perfect with Denver. He's basically. Uh, He's basically Brock Osweiler at a lot cheaper and a little bit younger. 6'7", he can move, he's got a cannon. I mean, this guy, just a good, good pick. He's from Florida, shout out for that. Uh, look, uh, the Sanchez, he can, he's, he's got a great opportunity to prove himself. But will they go 0-4? It's very possible. And will they go 0-1 against Carolina, who's going to be totally amped up, 100, ready to go Thursday night football? Probably. So, look, it's good not to put Paxton Lynch and throw him into the fire. He's not ready, but I can see him, unfortunately, if if your your projection's not correct and they don't win 10 games, I can see him being thrown to the Wolves. So, so we'll see. Hopefully, you know, Denver's lost some key pieces, but I'm sure they'll still be pretty good in that division. But I do like Carson. I like Carson Wentz. Unfortunately, he's going to get ripped a new one, it seems, until he makes good by the Philadelphia people. And uh, I like Paxton Lynch. Now... We talked about Laramie Tunsil. Uh, it's unfortunate what went down. We'll talk more later about, you know, why these guys need to get some some better people around them to, to direct them to really, where they need to go. Really, really quickly, Mike, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you, yeah, but yeah. one pick that I forgot to mention that you? I was super disappointed in and I became increasingly disappointed in when I heard Reggie McKenzie's uh, press conference. Reggie McKenzie is the general manager for the Raiders. The Raiders' second-round pick, Jihad Ward. Now, Bleacher Report's Matt Miller liked him. My editor at Bleacher Report liked him. But I watched this film, and I didn't see anything. The guy, I mean, Reggie McKenzie said he's raw. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You have an injured player in Merritt Edwards Jr. who has a neck issue. You don't know what his future is, playing the same position. And then you draft a raw player. And then reports came out that he might have arthroscopic knee surgery and will miss six weeks to begin his, his career. So not only do you have a raw player, but he's not going to be available right away. When you have a raw player who has raw potential and upside, you want him to get on the practice field as soon as possible. And you draft this guy in the second round. I had a third round grade for him. I think that the Raiders should have went with Jonathan Bullard out of Florida. But they missed on that one. And it thoroughly pissed me off because Ooh, I feel time. like they could have just they could have done a, a much better job. And this is not even criticizing them trading up for Connor Cook when they had Matt McGloin and Derek Carr on the roster. They needed a running back. They passed on Kenneth Dixon. At McKenzie, he messed up all his even picks. His second round pick, his fourth round pick, his sixth round pick were all reaches or just plain idiotic. And I, I didn't <laughs> like it. And I, and I gave the Raiders a lukewarm grade overall for their draft because they alternated good and bad picks. First round pick, Joseph, fine. Jahad War, as I just said, big reach. Again, third round player, raw potential, will miss six weeks of time. He probably won't be, won't be ready. So now, Mario Edwards could miss time. Jahad War might not be ready. Who's on your three-man defensive line? And, and I feel like it was, again, big swing and miss, McKenzie. I was disappointed there. Um, if Shalit Calhoun doesn't fall to the Rays in the third round, Shalit Calhoun is a great prospect. If he doesn't fall to the Raiders in the third round, I probably would have gave the Raiders a C- minus on this draft class. But, again, I don't want to rant on the Raiders because I know I have some Raider listeners following me, but you know how I keep it real. I keep it 100 all the time. Mackenzie screwed up that second-round pick, and you will see. 
people compare him to Mario Edwards Jr., I was, yes, I was hard on Mario last year. But Mario didn't need arthroscopic knee surgery, and he wasn't a raw prospect. He was experienced at his position. This guy, Jahad Ward, has a great story. I get it. I root for him. But I just feel like McKenzie could have got him in the third round or late second as a raw prospect. I did not like the move. In fact, it was probably the biggest head-scratcher outside of Connor Cook and for the Raiders draft. But go ahead, Mike. I, uh, I just had to get that. I love it. Chest. I love it. You you see it here, folks. M- Mike and Moe do not pull punches. We will go after <laughs> our teams. It doesn't matter. And that's the beauty of it. We are, we're not, we are biased to a certain extent, but when you do dumb things, you get called out. So I love it. And I want to call out a team that I don't care for any day of the week, the Miami Dolphins. Laramie Tunsil. <laughs> was going to be the first overall pick two months ago. Spiraled since then. We've gone through all the things that he's done wrong, that he continues to do wrong. I give him credit for the, the way he handles himself as all this information was coming out and his night was, was spiraling out of control. But the Miami Dolphins. You're a fan base that you still continue to celebrate the 72 Dolphins because that's all you got. Dan Marino never won a title. You continue to wonder why you are the way you are. Why you... Don't get to the playoffs consistently. Why you are never going to win a championship. This is because you sign and draft people that have moral character issues. You sign guys like Indomitian Sue and you give them all this money when the guy is a head case. Yes, he's a talent, but it his talent does not outweigh the potential risk he will cause your organization. And the same thing can be said with Laramie Tunsil. You spend the 13th overall pick on a guy that has done nothing but get in trouble uh, suspended while at while at uh, Ole Miss, fight his stepfather. We I understand that there were circumstances behind that, and if he was indeed protecting his mother, I clap it up for you, my man. But it just wasn't worth it. And this Miami Dolphin fan base who only shows up when the Miami Dolphins are doing good, a la the Miami Marlins, a la the Miami Heat. And I'm close enough to know that I grew up with Miami fans because I lived in South Florida in high school. Kind of disappointing. And they're not really they're not really banging the Laramie Tunsil uh, drum right now because it was a risk. And I again I don't think it outweighs the reward. Foolish, but this is the Miami Dolphin uh, front office. This is what they continue to do. You know what? Just get some more celebrities to buy into the team. Gloria Stefan's not enough. Mark Anthony's not enough. Who else? Pitbull? You in, my man? I mean, let's just let's just get all the celebrities that have ever come to Miami. Will Smith, DJ Jazzy Jeff. I mean, who else wants to buy in? Because we, we look real good on Sunday afternoon up in the press box, but on the field, you still don't know what your quarterback is. You, you let Lamar Miller go. You signed Mario Williams. Like I have no idea what you're doing. You're actually a worse situation and a worse organization than the Washington, whatever you want to call them. Uh, terrible. Just, just terrible. I have no sympathy for how bad you play. You go through coaches like underwear, and you know what, Dan Lebetard. This is all on you, my man. I don't know how he feels about it, but to to cover a team like this that continues to put one foot in front of the other and fall over themselves, it's what you get. If you like the Cowboys, if you don't sign people of high moral character, a la Greg Hardy, you don't deserve to win. If if winning is more important than putting people on the field that deserve to be there, that do the right thing by themselves, people around them, and and just everyone in general make a good impression on young folk. Just, I, don't, I don't care if you ever win a game again because you don't deserve it. Well, you heard it there, Miami Dolphins. You should draft a couple of Tim Tebow's to up your, your character in the locker room. Hey, you won't, you, won't, you won't lose any more games. I mean, you know. 
But I mean, I, I tried Miami. I tried to give you guys credit for the Kenyon Drake pick. I mean, it, as you said, Mike, it it was it was kind of head scratching to me to see Larry Mintunzel fall. I believe Miami got a good value for it, and they probably said, "Hey, we knew about this before it came out." Tunzel's video and what he did at Ole Miss. Hopefully, they did and they did their homework. But with Tunzel, I I sort of felt sorry for him. I don't know about you, but I sort of felt sorry for him because obviously he didn't put these uh, videos out, pictures or anything. And it, this is happening on what's supposed to be the best day of his life. Yes, he you know he he did do it. You know he did some questionable things, and it's his fault because it was him. But obviously someone was out to get him and put this out on the best, probably the best day of his life. And it just made me uncomfortable to watch him in the post-draft, well, after the first round, he had a press conference. And reporters, the media, they're just peppering him with questions. And he's answering them honestly without anyone to help him out. And eventually a woman comes up, I don't know who she is, but she kind of just ended the interview right there because he was just getting too honest. He admitted to asking for money. He admitted to all of the stuff that he did, and he was just answering with 100% honesty. As a media person, I appreciate his honesty, but he's a kid just coming out of college. He, he's, a, he's, he's fresh meat, basically, and the reporters were just feasting on him. And he, you could see him sweating, wiping the sweat off his forehead, and it was just uncomfortable because the guy knew he was back in the corner. He just didn't know what to do. The next day, they said he had an, aller- an allergic reaction, which is why he didn't come out right away for a second uh, conference. And I believe the Miami uh, people, the, the PR staff, is just coaching him up on what to say. When he finally came out, he didn't really say much. But again, someone was out to get him. Obviously, these videos were taken uh, a while ago, and someone said, "Hey, we're just gonna we're just gonna ruin the best day of his life." And in that sense, I felt sorry for him. Yeah, I didn't sure. feel sorry for him in the fact that he did do these things and he is a part of a lot of this. But it's it's a catch twenty two. Oh, again, as, as I said at the beginning of the show, Ole Miss is probably going to be in trouble for the money issue. They're going to have to answer to the NCAA. Tunstall, he can wash his hands with this because he's now a professional Miami Dolphins player. But again, uh, to your point, he you got to be careful on social media, kids. I will get into this in depth later on in the show in the wrap up. But please, if you're, you know, if you, it's not cool to take pictures, flashing money, or smoking weed if you want to be someone in the public eye. It's, just don't do it because you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. It's funny, too, because had this guy fallen to the second round, third round, I feel like I personally would have had a total different uh, outlook on this entire situation. You know, not that it's, again, the fact that somebody exposed this guy, went behind his back, sabotaged him, totally wrong. This person needs to be thrown in jail. But the fact that the fact that Tunsil doesn't have to pay any type of retribution uh, is also kind of wrong, too, because he, you know, the, the school is just as wrong as him, but he kind of gets off scot-free now that he's a professional football player. I, also, I don't believe that's correct. I believe he should have some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of, I guess, fine or suspension. I mean, we're so hard on everybody in the NFL that you can, you know, cheat in college, but now that you're a pro, you're off scot-free. So I don't think that's correct either. So there's a definite, there's a definite gray area here that needs to be addressed. We all know that Goodell likes to rule with the, you know, the hammer of Thor. So it's, uh, it's questionable where this is going to go. You know, I do feel for the guy, but I don't feel for the Dolphins. And, and uh, you know, time will tell where this is going to go. Real quick, just to wrap up, because I know we're, we're going over on, NF, on NFL draft stuff. Uh, Jalen Smith. Going to Dallas, great situation for him because the man that performed his his uh, knee surgery is a trainer slash surgeon with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, so that's a great situation. He's not going to play next year. You spoke about Miles Jack. Uh, what I can't believe is that a report came out the day after 
he was drafted from Dr. James Andrews that says he will not need any further knee surgery. Uh, hello, if I'm his agent, that information comes out the first day while my client is sitting in the green room with his family all alone. That was just, that was really poor on that part because if this guy's a real deal and if he goes to Jacksonville and stays healthy, Jacksonville's going to be fantastic. We already have a great offense, so you put him with, with everybody that you've got in this offseason and who you drafted already, great job. Roger Goodell, what? You said on Mike and Mike that he didn't know of Laramie Tunsil's situation, but that he understands that it's part of what makes the NFL draft so exciting? Is that is that an ignorant statement or is that the truth? Does he actually believe that? Because this guy had a life altering situation. He his character is exposed, and you think that this is good for TV. Well, a couple of party shots for me. I believe Roger Goodell understands that the NFL draft is nothing but a marathon TV show. So whether by hook or crook, you get people to watch. It's a win for him. I know he shouldn't be rooting for bad things to happen and people watching his show, but he knows people are watching anyway. Once Laramie Tunzel thing came out 15 minutes before the draft, people were glued to the TV to see how far he's going to fall, especially after Baltimore passed on him and chose Ronnie Stanley. So he understands that, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity when it comes to the NFL draft. And you, you see things like Love and Hip Hop on TV all the time that people love to watch because it's drama. And there was drama with Laramie Tunzel. Now, maybe he used a poor choice of words there, but he understands that people are attracted to, you know, the intrigue and, and all of that stuff. Real quick on uh, Miles Jack, I was surprised that he went after Jalen Smith because, you know, we understand Jalen Smith is going to miss his rookie season. Miles Jack is just a matter of how long is he going to last with that knee. And as you said, when Dr. James Andrews came out with that report, that should have came out days ago because yeah. the guy went to the first day, like Chris Jones I mentioned earlier. He was at the first day of the draft thinking he could get, you know, he'll he'll go in the first thirty-one picks, and he didn't. He didn't show up to the second day for good reason because then at that point, thirty-one teams passed on you, so you don't know where you're gonna fall. But I was really surprised that Dallas actually took Jalen Smith over Miles Jack because again, at least you know Miles Jack is gonna play probably play his rookie season. It's just a matter of how long. And if you're a GM, GM shelf life is maybe five, six years. If Miles Jack plays five, six years, you, you get the most out of him. Hopefully he doesn't blow his knee. We don't wish injury on anyone. But as a GM, you, don't, you, you have a very small window. And you get the player that can play right away versus a player who may, who may you know, sit out a couple of years. I mean, obviously he's going to miss his rookie season. Jalen Smith is. But we don't know when he's going to step on the field, even though they are encouraging you know, reports, you know, there. Uh, his surgeon, who's also the Cowboys surgeon, said, you know, he's going to pretty much be fine. We'll see. It'll be interesting to track both their careers because they, they went like two picks away from each other, Dallas and the Jaguars. But one quick, quick thing about Ezekiel Elliott and his crop top. That thing was horrible. And I feel like he <laughs> belongs in Dallas because that was the ultimate look at me moment. Yeah. I remember he did an interview. He said he's going to wear a purple suit. He showed this purple suit. And then he shows up on the red carpet with a crop top. And I'm just like, perfect. Look at me. Look at me. I, you know, I'm the man. Look at me. It's so Dallas. The yeah. star, America's team, that team, their image. That you know, it, It's why I dislike them. I have family in North Carolina who, who love the Dallas Cowboys, but I'm sorry. They got the right player. He's going to be a great player. But that image, that look at me, you know, I'm the center of attention. And I believe Jerry Jones grabbed Jalen Smith. To get to get to grab the headlines, basically, sure. and to say, you know, I'm gonna roll the dice on this guy, bring the headlines to Dallas. We're gonna win. We're gonna do it with headlines. And I just, 
again, I, I just, not just because I'm a New Yorker, you know, and I root for the Jets and Giants and the Raiders, but the Dallas Cowboys just rubbed me the wrong way. From Greg Hardy to, to their signing of Greg Hardy to Des Bryant. I like Tony Romo. Contrary to popular belief, I really like Tony Romo. He rose from nothing to something. But Dallas, man, they, they if they're not getting controversial picks, they want me first players. And I believe that's going to blow up in their face eventually. But I'll, I'll end my parting shots with a question to you, Mike. Which New York team between the Jets, the Giants, will even include the Bills who are upstate? Which team do you think uh, made out the draft? The, you know, who gets the highest grade of those three teams? Ooh, that's... That's really tough. Um, I'm gonna pro- I'm gonna say the Giants, to be honest with you. And I know we spoke about you know Mr. Apple there, and um, and it was a it was not so much a need pick. And Jerry Reese even came out and said we took the best available player on the board who had no issues, personal or physical. So I I guess I understand that to a certain extent. I mean, if this kid is the real deal, then you've got three fantastic cornerbacks. Uh, we do. We know they got Landon Collins coming back. Uh, JPP should be healthy. Uh, I don't like their their linebacking core, but again, with a better secondary, it will help that linebacking core. And if your front four is as strong as they should be, it's gonna go a long way. Um, they made some nice picks, and you know the second, and third rounds, they helped out solidify their uh, their offense to a certain extent. I I just I they didn't have a great they didn't have a, nobody in New York had a great draft but I feel like the Giants did the most to at least get what they could out of their picks uh, I, I just think all of them could have done a little bit better at, to a certain extent so I I agree with you I like the Sterling Shepard pick by yeah. receiver the Giants gonna have a, a lethal uh, passing offense we're gonna have Cruz Odell Beckham of course and Sterling Shepard is a great slot receiver out of Oklahoma. I really liked him. I scouted, uh, not scouted, but I really did a lot of homework on Darian Thompson, the free safety they got in the third round. He's going to he's gonna be a starter for a long time. Of course, the Giants had problems at the safety position. He'll be pretty good. Keep an eye on the running back they drafted in the fifth round, Paul Perkins. I had him at the top of a lot of my mock drafts. He'll be good for, for the Giants. They obviously need to up their, their ground attack. He'll pair with Rashad Jennings. And he'll do pretty well. As far as the Bills, you mentioned their questionable picks. Shaq lost him to show that I'm a little eh on that. But if he doesn't need the surgery, pretty good player. Reggie, Ra- Reggie Ragland's an old-school downhill thumper. Rex Ryan type of guy. I think that's a good pick for the Bills. Jonathan Williams. If you're, Rex, if you're the Buffalo Bills run by Rex Ryan, basically you're getting all the pass rushers and all the running backs. Because <laughs> now they've been drafted three D linemen first three picks and then they got a third running back who could probably start in this league somewhere so now they got LaShawn McCoy they got uh, Jonathan Williams this guy and Carlos Williams last year that's going to be an interesting situation I was surprised they didn't go to wide receiver because Percy Harvin basically retired and you don't have anyone opposite Sammy Watkins but uh, Robert Woods who's been a disappointment out of USC yeah that's the only thing I would criticize there the Jets I was a little disappointed. Uh, I really like Darren Lee at the top of the draft, but it ends pretty much there. Oh, Jordan Jenkins is pretty good. He was a pass rusher out of Georgia. Leonard Flo is the better pass rusher there. But uh, they, they, it's kind of lukewarm for the Jets. I, I don't know how much they could have done with the 20th pick. They kind of had a late pick in the round, so can't judge them too hard on that. Brandon Shell is going to be a good offensive tackle. He's more of a run blocker than a pass blocker. By the way, that's Art Shell's nephew, I believe. Uh, watch out for him getting a starting spot eventually because Breno Giacomini on the right side is just not doing it. But um, I would I would say that the Giants, I agree with you, the Giants had the best of the New York teams, New York area teams. 
no one did horrible. I don't think the Jets did horrible. I was just the least impressed with their class, only because of the Christian Hackenberg pick at second. Yeah. But uh, the Bills, I think they got players that fit Rex Ryan's personality. And if you're a Bills person, you're probably happy about that. If if they can continue to beat down on the Jets next season. But Ugh. yeah, there you go. All right, well, that is it for our very long <laughs> opening segment. Uh, we may even have to make this a two-parter, so stay tuned for that. But we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Open Mic, and we're going to talk about the incredibly long 2016 NBA playoffs and how today we will have some final resolution for two first-round series and how the San Antonio Spurs have already crowned themselves the NBA champion. We'll be right back. Open mic. Mo, do you hear that? Mo, Mo, do you hear that? Mo, 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 do you know? Do you know who that is? It's the huh? It's the what? Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets taking the Miami Heat to a game seven tonight. How do you feel about telling me that the Charlotte Hornets had no chance? I'll admit. Okay, I mm-hmm. was wrong. The yep. Charlotte Hornets do have a chance. Uh, one of my college buddies actually went to Charlotte to join a friend to watch game, I believe, five. Was it? No, it couldn't be game five because that would have been in Miami. Game six, I believe. Yeah. And they pulled it out, and the Charlotte Hornets proved to be a real team. As you said, you know, you get the crown for this when you said Campbell Walker would show up. Mm-hmm. Not the greatest shooter field goal percentage-wise, but he has showed up in the playoffs, and he's coming of age. I believe Michael Wilbon said he's not up there with the Damian Lillards and Steph Curry's of the world, but you got to respect him. That might have been Stephen A. Smith, actually, that said that. But yeah, you got to respect him. this guy, Kemba Walker. He's from, I believe he's from New York, grew up somewhere in Mount Vernon or the Bronx, if I'm mistaken. Mm-hmm. But he's coming of age, and he's really pushing the Charlotte Hornets to battle with the Heat, to, as you said, a Game 7. Wade really showed up, though. He really showed up. He really showed up. And, old um, man Wade. Old yes. man. <laughs> He slapped the Bengay on, and he, he strapped it up, and he really put it on the line. Um, hey, you know who hasn't? You know who hasn't shown up? Who? Mo Money, Mo Buckets, Joe Johnson. Listen, yeah. he's counting his money. He's, he's counting his money. Yeah, he's, he's he, tired. I mean, he, he, got, he transferred over mid-season. Give the guy a break. Oh. I mean, he's got to settle in. We gotta, you know? More money, more buckets. We gotta, we gotta get used to our surroundings before we show up. Yeah, he's on, he's on South Beach drinking a mai tai. That's what he's been doing this playoff <laughs> series. Him and Goran Dragic, they they found that the uh, you know down at the cabanas uh, hanging out with the pool boys. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm just more disappointed in Goran Dragic because this is yeah. a guy who has so much fanfare at the trade deadline a year ago, I believe, and he he's pretty much just baseline average. He's not a guy that you want to give a max contract to. At least I didn't I haven't seen it yet because you would think he's going to be the difference in this series, and he's again he's just pretty much average. Wade is the guy, and he's he's like 50 years old. <laughs> so I mean, if he had gotten that call. As Gabriel Union uh, had an outburst on the Blue social media. Yeah, she needs to stop. It yeah, it, it could have been a different series. But again, we're going to Game Seven. I still think Miami wins. I'm not coming off my prediction, Mike. I am. I think he takes it. All right, you. They take it. 
uh, I'm just happy I got to this point. To be honest with you, I'm still I'm still rooting for I'm still rooting for the uh, the Charlotte Hornets. I hope that uh, we don't see any Michael Jordan memes tonight. Uh, anything is possible, though. Uh, let's move it over to the series that was uh, a train wreck because of injuries. Uh, I'm obviously talking about the L.A. Clippers and the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, obviously, I predicted L.A. Clippers. Uh, who didn't? Who could have seen that Chris Paul would break his hand holding a guy's jersey as he drives to the hoop? Uh, mm-hmm. Such a shame. Obviously, if you had to close your eyes and touch the crystal ball, we probably would have predicted that Blake Griffin would re-injure his quad. The, uh, wow. the, the softest man in the world. He is made of two-ply tissue paper, and I like him. I really, really like Blake Griffin, but it's just a shame what do you do with this team? Because there's been talk that, you know, Chris Paul is never going to have a higher trade value. Uh, you know, Blake Griffin can't be the centerpiece of your organization because he can't stay healthy. I mean, if you're Doc Rivers and if Doc Rivers gets brought back, which I will, I, th- I do think he does. He's got one year left. I don't like that he has total control of the team. <clears throat> Tom Thibodeau. I don't think that he can do both. I, I, he needs somebody to bounce these ideas off. Do you do you trade Chris Paul while you possibly can get something for him? Maybe to Cleveland if they lost their mind and traded Kyrie Irving. What do you do, or do you just stand pat and go one more year with the same team? What What would you do, Mo? Well, first of all, I don't know what you have against guys with a lot of power. I mean, Mike, you're a talented guy. You do a lot of things in life. Would, would you like just doing one thing? I mean, come on. If you're, if you're talented enough to do it, wouldn't you want to have multiple hats as you already do right now today? Yeah, I mean, sure, I would. But if I continue to fail at both of all of them, no, no. <laughs> but um, on to the Clippers. I don't think they they voluntarily let go of Chris Paul. I think if Chris Paul leaves the Clippers, it's because he wants to leave the Clippers. Colin Cowherd said that he should uh, stay in the same building and go to the Lakers now that they have what? a new regime. We'll talk about pretty soon. Yeah, he said that he feels that Chris Paul originally wanted to go to the Lakers and well, yeah. David Stern nixed that, nixed that deal, and he went out with the Clippers. So maybe now with Adam Silver at the helm, now he makes it happen and goes to the Lakers. That's a horrible. No Kobe. He, so, Colin, Colin needs to get out of the sun because there's no way that they would trade him to the same team in the same building. There's Besides, there's nothing that the Lakers have to give. They're not even uh, – I don't understand that at all. We'd never, ever get to the playoffs again with that team. But – that's neither here nor there. But, but I, I, I think he, I think you know, you gotta look at what LeBron said a couple of weeks ago about building a super team. I, I feel like that situation looks attractive if Kyrie Irving is moved. Chris Paul's gotta be frustrated because he has a guy Blake Griffin, as you said, that can't stay healthy. Yeah. DeAndre Jordan, you know, they, they hopped on. Again, I said this last podcast. They hopped on banana boats and planes and bicycles to get this guy. And he can't hit a free throw. And again, that's he. Chris Paul is part of the reason DeAndre wants to leave because the two obviously don't get along very well because DeAndre can't hit his free throws late in game. So I don't know how long Chris Paul could put up with this, but if he if he doesn't find a solution, if he doesn't think about his future, he's going to be that guy that was a, a top, not I wouldn't say top 50 yet, but an NBA great that couldn't get over the hump and get to the get to the NBA Finals because the guys around him just didn't put enough work in for a title. Yeah, it's a scary so, but, situation, oh. though. I mean, you've got no bench. You've got no cap space. <laughs> you've got no draft picks. You've got a superstar who can't stay healthy. You've got another guy who's got a max deal that can't shoot free throws, and you're going to be 31. 
that's what do you I mean what is he gonna do if I were him I would take the trade to a team that is is legitimately going to be good uh, Kyrie Irving is the real deal right now 27 and a half points 47 percent shooting in the first round on three pointers the guy's a real deal I don't know if LeBron can facilitate a trade to get his boy Chris Paul to Cleveland but yeah Chris Paul man I'm saying pull the trigger because I just don't I don't see blowing up this team but if you get something if you can get something for Chris Paul now, you do it because he's never going to be uh, as valued. And if he has a down year next year, what, this team's not going anywhere. I, to me, I'd move Blake Griffin faster than Chris Paul. If I'm the Clippers and I'm making a decision, I'm Doc Rivers and I'm making personnel moves. I move Blake Griffin for for another guy because for what though? I mean, the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, Blake. The Clippers were good without without Blake Griffin. Yeah, sure, they so were. It, the reason the reason the Clippers won two and then basically got swept in the next four is because obviously Chris Paul he's not there to set up Deion, DeAndre Jordan in the paint he's not there to set up anybody the guy is the guy is a great he's he's a reluctant but he's a good scorer and he's a floor general that could set up everyone on the floor so by all costs the Clippers have to keep Chris Paul if Chris Paul leaves again like I said it's because he wants to leave with the Clippers you do not let go of Chris Paul you you let go of Blake Griffin if you have to keep him yeah. But that, 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 that's another story. What I want to draw attention to is uh, the spanking that happened last night. The Spurs basically <laughs> just, just stomped on the Oklahoma City Thunder by 32 points. Yep. This is a team, the Spurs, that people say, oh, they're too old, they're over the hill, they can't keep up with OKC's athleticism. Eh. <laughs> what, happened in, what happened in game one? They got crushed, OKC. So the Spurs, I said this on Facebook while ago, I said, with Steph Curry's injury, which we'll talk about next, uh, the Spurs have to be the favorite to win the NBA title, you know, to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers probably in, in five or six games. But the Spurs are looking like a pretty much well-oiled machine again. 22 points per game they beat Memphis by. Their starters didn't even play the fourth quarter. And now you go out and you absolutely dismantle uh, Oklahoma City, and I, I can I can I backtrack again on that whole wet, uh, Westbrook Durant playing well together yeah. thing. I want to go back to my original okay. statement, and uh, yeah, I'm going to go back to my original and say that this isn't going to work. And if you listen to the post game press conference, uh, it sounds like Durant is is either going to make his coach go bye bye or he's going to leave because he said that's what makes the Spurs so good. Uh, they have a coach who puts it all together and and puts the guys in the right situation to win. Obviously, he's talking about Popovich. And there was speculation that the Spurs could potentially go after Durant next year. It's a big shot at Billy Donovan. So if this doesn't turn around quick and at this rate, it, it's going to be a sweep. Uh, it's, it's just not going to happen for Oklahoma. I, I'm sorry. It's just not. So. Oklahoma City, again, I ha- okay, my prediction for this series is the Spurs winning in six. Oklahoma City is going to get theirs probably in game three. I think the Spurs defend home court at 2-0. But on to Durant and Westbrook, they're not going to stay together for much longer. No. You know, they're going to bo- either both part or Durant's going to part. I-, I like the Wizards as an underrated team for him because, again, they're, they're-, they're courting uh, Scott Brooks. And uh, did they court him or did they sign him? I'm not sure. I so, Scott, yeah, Scott Brooks, I- Scott Brooks signed with Washington. He got uh, like something like $45 million over the next five years. So he got paid. Right. Again, my head is filled with so much NFL draft <laughs> knowledge. Uh, I, I remember that they were courting Scott Brooks, but I wasn't sure if they inked him. And as you said, they did. But got to be an underrated team to land Kevin Durant offseason. That's his hometown. That's his former coach who he spent a lot of time with. So look for the Washington Wizards to really make a play for this guy. 
But again, Oklahoma City, it, it's pretty much over for them before it started. I mean, that's alarming. I know it's the first game, but a 32-point spanking that's is the first game. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's pretty bad. And then you got Duran talking, praising Popovich. Yeah. I uh, don't really like that. I mean, you got to give Billy Donovan some some leeway. It's his first year as head coach in NBA. Popovic has been doing this for how long? 65 years. 65 <laughs> years in the NBA. He basically, he can bully reporters at this point. He has so much clout. Yep. So Popovic is probably the best coach in the NBA. So to compare any NBA coach to Popovic is just, yeah, it's crazy. It's just unfair, to be honest with you. But um, on to the team that the Spurs are going to probably be playing the second round, but not an easy out. It's going to be the Golden State Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers. They they tip off today, I believe, 3.30. And I believe Golden State is is a good team without Stephen Curry, but they're probably going to go to six games just because Curry is going to try to push back before his May 9th date, as I, as I saw on ESPN, I believe. He's going to try to give it a go before that time because, obviously, the Golden State Warriors really need him. I think Portland can be dangerous. I don't think Portland is going to win a series or go to seven games. But you got to respect Damian Lillard and McCollum out there. Those guys, that backcourt, yes, they beat a, uh, an injured Clippers team. But all in all, that backcourt is probably one of the best in the NBA. And the Golden State Warriors understand that they have to, they can't sleep on this team because this team could sneak up and surprise them, especially with Kirk, Stephen Curry out of the lineup. Yeah, great, great backcourt. Uh, you know, the NBA's most improved player in C.J. McCollum. But come on, Mo, no one ever in the history of the world would have predicted that the Blazers would have beat a healthy Clipper team. And that's, to me, that's the reason that they've moved on. I I mean, the Clippers lost their two best players. So I give credit for, obviously, for the Blazers to even win to move on. But that's the reason that that they're going. And and if they win one game against even a a team without the reigning MVP, and I'll just go ahead and say the two-time MVP, I'll be surprised. So if you win the first game... I sit Curry. You win the second game, I'm sitting him again. I am sitting him as long as we continue to win or have a one-game advantage because you've got to get him ready for San Antonio. And I know we're jumping the gun, but come on. If it's not San Antonio and Golden State, something drastically wrong has gone on. So that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing if I'm Steve Kerr. But, you know, who am I to fight with the man who won, you know, his second NBA Head Coach of the Year award? Oh, my God, he should have been a Nick coach. So wait a minute, you're not you're so you're not giving any credit to Portland. So no, I give credit that they won. Going, I I see the series going. I think I think uh, I don't. I think uh, Portland maybe will win one. I don't. I just don't see it. And no, come on. With if if they play the way if Golden State plays the way they did in the first round, and Clay Thompson can continue to hit his thirty-four footers, this this series should be over in four. I mean, Portland's a nice team. Nice. I don't like. Their three, four, or five positions. I like their backcourt. Mason Plumley got thrown down on so hard that he lost two inches. So it's <laughs> like I just—they're I, not ready. They need, they need, they need more. They need more. And and again, I'm looking forward to to the uh, the conference finals. I just, I just want to get there. I just, I just want to get there, Mo. That's it. It's really it. But it's fine. It's, <laughs> I agree with you. Portland needs more, but I just think you gotta give them a little bit more credit. You gotta give them two games and not nope. one. I, and you're you're down Dame Lillard, yep. and he's been doubted his whole life. Oh, all because he's stayed. small and he's small yes. and he's tiny. I support, I support my small guys. He's also from Oakland. Shout out to the Raiders again. Oh boy! But uh, you gotta support. You gotta support him. And I think Portland gets two games out of the Golden State Warriors. We all know Golden State is the best regular 
season team in history. They're going to win this series, but without Steph Curry in the lineup, I think they're going to have two hiccups against the Portland Trailblazers. Right. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you <laughs> but, that. Let's talk. Let's but, talk um, about the team. Another team that I predicted winning that you didn't. The Hotlanta Hawks. Okay. Hotland, Hotland, and again, this was a great series, great series. I just told you that they were just too, too much, too much veterans, too, too much, too much length, and and yes, Isaiah Thomas, I, I, he's for real. Is he a superstar? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to give him that moniker yet. But but uh, he showed up. They they again another team that needs a lot as far as you know helping one man is Boston. Sullinger's a restricted free agent. Evan Turner's an unrestricted free agent. I don't like those guys. I love their coach. I think Brad Stevens is phenomenal. Uh, it's funny they were talking on ESPN how he looks like a uh, uh, what a camp counselor that comes to camp and is really cool and he's high five and all these guys. Uh, he also looks like he belongs on a yacht wearing Sperry's somewhere. But this guy is a he's a basketball head. He knows. He knows his stuff. He got the most out of this team. I'm really impressed. But are you ready to 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 put the crown on the head of Isaiah Thomas, another guy under under five foot seven, and tell him tell me that he's uh, a, a a Dame Lillard? Is he is he that type of guy? If I was eight years old, I would have Isaiah Thomas <laughs> on my wall as a poster because this guy would be my hero. He, he's the guy that's gonna stand up for short men all over the world, and he's gonna he's gonna say, "Look, we can ball too." Yeah. I mean, the guy is probably 5'8". I mean, they say he's 5'9". He looks 5'8 to me as, as a guy who's 5'7 and three quarters. I, I know a 5'8 guy when I see him, and mm-hmm. he's probably about 5'8 and a half at most. But um, I don't think he's a superstar because to be a superstar, you got to be marketable. I mean, you're talking about the Penny Carter waves of the world, the Michael Jordans of the world, the LeBron James of the world. Those, those are superstars. I don't even view Carmelo Anthony as a superstar. He's a great scorer, but he's not a superstar. Isaiah Thomas will never be a superstar, but people underestimated him. He was a second-round pick, I believe, for the Sacramento Kings. And he's just been balling out ever since with Sacramento, with Phoenix, and now on the Boston Celtics. And he started out as a six-man. I believe he's probably probably, a solid point guard. The guy guy can set up and he can shoot. So give credit to uh, Isaiah Thomas. Give credit where credit is due. The Boston Celtics, one key word for them was injuries. You know, Avery Bradley went down. I know you're probably going to say big deal, but um, it matters for a team that's that's takes them, that gets the most out of the sum of its parts. Yeah. So, again, I said this last episode, when, when one part goes down, it affects the entire team. But congratulations to the Hawks. You're going to lose to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Probably in <laughs> So yeah, you can you can take that hot Lana thing and hot yeah, be Lana. happy about it now. Hot and Lana. yeah, it's 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 not gonna last long. Five games to the Cleveland Cavaliers who are on a mission. Yeah. But I agree. on to an on to an intriguing seven game uh game seven, I should say. <laughs> Toronto Raptors and Indiana Pacers. Um Paul George balled out. He said he would play forty eight minutes if he had to in game six to force a game seven. Yep. And the Pacers, I believe, went on an 18-point uh, run to get that win. Yep. Toronto scares me, and this is the reason why. They just collapse in moments, and it, it, it happens repetitively. And I, I just have no faith. Even if Toronto wins this Game 7 and they advance, whoever wins out of Charlotte, Miami is going to take care of take care of the Raptors. But yeah. hopefully Indiana makes it because, to me, they're the better team. They're better built to battle the Heat or the Charlotte Hornets. Frank Vogel is a great coach. I have the Pacers winning this one in Toronto. Sorry, Drake. 
have you listened to your album, but I gotta go with the Pacers. Yeah, and I had I had the Pacers from from the get. Uh, I don't think you did, but I did. We we had the well, we get, sorry, so sorry. You've been so wrong. You've been so wrong since the NCAA tournament. I can't keep track oh, of all your L's. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Thank you very much. I'm the. It's called Mike Stradamus, not Mostradamus, sir. So you. Anyway, yeah, I agree. I uh, I think I think uh, whoever wins the series will get dismantled uh, in the next round. Uh, Chris Bosh, if he comes back and he win, it's a huge bonus. Unfortunately. For all you Heat fans, you guys have not won a... Uh, you've only won two games since the All-Star break against teams over 500. So, not really feeling very good about their chances. Um, just keep that in mind. Uh, Jeremy Lin, calling it now. He's going to win sixth man of the year next year, Mo. Sixth okay. man. And he's going to get a sweet shampoo commercial this offseason. <laughs> okay? So, I'm just... And we got we to gotta give shout-out to Michael Jordan... He may actually know what he's doing after like you know how many how many seasons of not knowing what anything is going on with his teams. Hired the right coach, went out and got the right players. Uh, he's just he's, he's having a great year. Uh, not that he needs any more money, but he's doing big things. Uh, so I'm um, congratulations to him. And uh, you know it's 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 just been a really really long first round. I can't believe that they actually started. The second round last night with San Antonio, and yet we're still getting two games in the first round today. I'm, it's so convoluted. I'm really confused about how the, the, the seedings have been done. I stand by my point that we need to go to the mercy rule. If you win the first three games, it's over. Or we need to go to a best at a four at, what is it, three out of five uh, at first round. I also say that we should... Lessen the amount of games per season. 70 to 75. We have to we have to get rid of these injuries to these superstars in the playoffs because these guys are so beat up from 82 games playing back-to-backs on the road that they're going to break down. I mean, it's just it just is. Look at the guys that have gotten hurt. Curry, Griffin, Paul, Thomas, Batum, Bradley. 18 18 All-Star game appearances by the six guys I just named. And we as a fan base lose these guys in the supposedly best part of the NBA season. It's not fair and it just makes for kind of crappy games. So, change it. Uh, as I said, I've said this before, uh the best season to me was the short lockout season. Yeah. Obviously players want their money, but it was it was great because it was it was more action, less games. I believe it was 60 games. And it was exciting. I mean, yeah. there were some uh, consecutive back-to-back nights, but a shortened season to me is a is a better deal. Of course, the NBA is not going to do that because revenue, of course, mm-hmm. that's money in their pocket, so it's not going to happen. Yeah. But I agree with you. Um, something has to be done. You don't want to see a superstar or a key player go down in the postseason when it all matters, because then it just takes the climax out of the series. But uh, we we um, hopefully they address it with something. Yeah, maybe something. maybe maybe spreading out the schedule, which would probably elongate the season. If you're going to keep the 82 games, maybe spread it out so there's not too much demand on the body in a close time frame. But um, doubt it for the near future. But we will get ads on jerseys, so oh, that's, great. that shows you where the that shows you where the thinking heads are at. It's all about the money. Now, uh, before we end, uh, you know, talking about the playoffs, do we bother talking about the Houston Rockets, or should we just move on? Uh, dumpster fire at the end. <laughs> Six, <laughs> the last game that they lost, 114-81 against Golden State. They were 6-for-32 behind the arc, and this is the same game that Jason Terry came out on a walker and predicted that his team would win. So um, that tells you how much Houston has going for them. They're hoping that uh, Dwight Howard, 
uses his opt-out. If he's if he wants to keep more money, more buckets, he opts in for his next season because nobody's going to pay him what he's supposed to get. I believe it's something like twenty something million dollars. But there's no point in even talking about them because they are horrendous, and I don't know who would want to coach them. Uh, it's just uh, it's it's a terrible situation. The Knicks the Knicks actually have more going for them in the form of Kristaps Porzingis. But that's it. That's it. That's that's really all I can say about that that team in Houston. So we're going to talk about something now. That is near and dear to my heart, baseball. And it's been all over the news once again for all the wrong reasons. And yes, we're talking about performance-enhancing drugs. Marlins second baseman D. Gordon, former reigning National League stolen base leader, average king, was suspended for 80 games for testing positive for two, not one, but two banned substances. Uh, testosterone and clostebol. I have no idea what those are, but clearly they're <laughs> you illegal. You know what testosterone is? Uh, I know what testosterone is. I believe I have some of that, but I don't have any <laughs> clostebol because it just sounds like it's painful. Um, this is a guy that signed a five-year, $50 million contract extension this winter because he had such a fantastic year last year. I mean, he was he hit 333 and had a 418 on-base percentage, had 58 steals. Now, this was a guy that was probably the biggest name that we found was was on some kind of PED since the Ryan Bronze and since the Alex Rodriguez's. And I understand that even the week before, Chris Calabello, first baseman DH for the Toronto Blue Jays, was suspended 80 games. So this is something that's rampant. Jeremy uh, Mejia, a relief pitcher for the Mets, was suspended in spring training for life because it was his third I guess third uh, abuse of the of the powers of the powers that be in baseball, and he is now gone for life, and he is appealing that as well. Now, my problem with all this is besides the fact that we're cheating the game or cheating the players, is that in baseball and in all sports, you have the right to arbitration. Now, according to what has come out in the news, Buster Only of ESPN reported that Gordon knew about his suspension a few days before, and he did put it to appeal. So he got to play against other major league teams while he was on appeal. And the Marlins actually swept the L.A. Dodgers. And in the game before he was suspended, was one for four with an RBI in the seventh inning, and the Marlins won 5-3. So it changed, the, it changed the overall premise of the game, and it changed, the, it changed what could be at the end of the season, the Dodgers possibly getting into the playoffs. So now, Mo, do you, under, do you agree that this is unfair? And before I get into what the other players feel, it what 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 needs to be done because i personally have some ideas on how we can fix this but you know maybe it's too little uh totalitarian so i'll let you talk about it first before i my blood pressure goes any higher well i mean first of all this d gordon doesn't fit the description of a home run hitter and this has been made time and time again after the suspension was known that this is a guy who's who's a speed guy who steals bases he had 64 stolen bases in 2014 58 in 2015 so PED use is not just for big guys trying to juice up and hit home runs. It's also about endurance. You got to think about the MLB season. I know you just spoke about shortening the NBA season, but come on. Baseball has 162 games. Yeah. Mike, 162 games. That's insane. It's too long. I mean, some, some nights you play, I believe, twice in a day or Back to back, yeah, double double headers, or, or it's not as prevalent as it was, but yeah, we uh, baseball technically plays mostly six games a week: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 
Thursday's a, a flyaway game. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's insane. Think about that. Yeah. Can you do anything with that type of endurance six days a week, back-to-back, and for 162 games for that many months in a year? Baseball has to shorten their season. I mean, cut it down to 100 games. I mean, how many? why do you need all this inventory? Why do you need 162 games? Well, like you always say, Sh- more money, more dollars, it seems. I, I, yeah, I, again, I understand the revenue, but when your players are, are taking, taking the risk of taking PEDs for endurance, as D. Gordon probably did, and and your guys are going down with injury now. Their pitch counts on 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 pitchers now. Uh, I believe a pitcher last week almost had a no hitter, but he was pulled. You could fill me in on that one. Mm-hmm. I, I I glanced at that on baseball tonight. But you got to shorten the season. 162 games. You got players taking drugs and you know getting pulled in in, in big moments. And it's because the season is just too long now. MLB strengthened their, their drug policy program, and now you got these lengthy bans. I believe D. Gordon is just going to miss 80 games. But it's 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 not working because these guys are still willing to take the risk for the extra contract and to get that edge. And obviously, as, as we see with D. Gordon, a two-time All-Star, we don't know how long he's been on these drugs, but it's obviously worked for him in a different way than we're normal to seeing as far as home run hitting. Now, again, I said this a couple of podcast episodes ago. PD use and substance abuse is not also not always about performance. Sometimes it's about healing. Some, and in this case, as I said, endurance. So MLB has a problem on its hands. It's it's pretty rampant of guys. I mean, a guy was banned for life early in the season, I believe, a Mets player. Yep. You got to think about it. These guys don't seem to care about this policy. They're still doing it. You can't stop it. And you look at it, the NBA, NFL, MLB, of those leagues, I don't follow hockey that much, so obviously I didn't mention them, but shout out to NHL fans listening to this podcast for whatever reason, I don't know. But uh, if you look at it, the NFL and MLB have a huge problem. You got guys with, in the NFL with substance abuse, and I've heard that that lessens the pain. You know, from Sunday to Sunday, and you got guys at MLB taking drugs for for an edge. So, I I don't think this problem goes away. No matter what you do, players are still gonna look for that edge. Players are still gonna look for that extra contract if they can just perform because they feel like this this change in their body is gonna be sustainable through the long term. So if you can bulk up, juice up twenty pounds, and you get suspended, you get pinched for four weeks or eighty games, but then you come back and you have a great career. You take the risk. More money, more buckets. I don't condone cheating, but that's what these players are thinking right now, Mike. No, they, they are. And, and the pitcher that you uh, you alluded to earlier with the no-hitter, there's actually two. It's Ross Stripling with the Dodgers a couple weeks ago. Uh, 26-year-old coming off of Tommy John surgery. Had a no-hitter in the eighth, uh, and he was somewhere around like 110 pitches. And uh, and they pulled him, which was smart. And then Adam Conley, just two nights ago of the Marlins, uh, young pitcher, he's 26 as well, but he's a rookie. Had uh, eight and was it was seven and one, seven and two thirds, seven and seven and one thirds innings pitched, uh, no hitter, 116 pitches. They pulled them uh, again. It's it's cautionary. It's smart. Back to the point about the PEDs. Uh, yeah, they're doing it because there's there's not enough consequences. Uh, I'll I'll take unfortunately I'll take an 80 game suspension. You're not going to get paid during suspension, but you got five years and 50 million dollars coming to you like D Gordon. You look at a guy like Chris Colabello, who three years ago was playing in uh, independent baseball somewhere in New Jersey. Uh, came back, had a fantastic year last year with Toronto, batted 321, 15 homers and 54 RBIs. Uh, well, what, we have to check why because this year. Uh, what was he doing? Batting zero eight zero. That was that. That's not his area code. That's where. That's what he was batting. And the year that he came back from 
playing in Atlanta, I think it's the Atlantic League, 229, six homes and 39 RBIs. So when a guy shoots up this much, there's yes, there's it's you're okay to be skeptical about it because how did he get there? I mean, D Gordon three years ago before his first uh, break, breakout year only played 50 games. He batted somewhere like 230. So again, I, I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate. You have to have, you have to look through, look at it a little bit of skepticism and you have to say, well, you know, not everybody's just a natural talent, especially when they've struggled for so long. Let's take a deeper look. And that's obviously where we are now. And unfortunately, it looks like there's a list coming out this week. Not many people have heard this, but Peter Gammons of ESPN reports that D Gordon is going to be the first of a couple more names that's going to come out that the Joint Drug Task Force has worked with Major League Baseball. They're going to out a couple more players. So this is just putting baseball in a negative light once again. It's There's there's a lot of good going on in the game with Bryce Harper, the Mike Trouts, uh, the way the Baltimore Orioles are playing, the way that Chicago Cubs are playing, but we're so focused on the negative. So here are my four ways to fix baseball once and for all. Are you ready, Mo? We got solutions, folks. Yep. Not just, we're not just griping. We got solutions. We got solutions. And that's pretty drastic. So I'll let you – I'm going to tell them to you, and then I want you to pick the top one that you like. First one is that you give all teams the options of avoiding multi-year deals after a player is busted once for PEDs. Obviously, the MLB Players Association has to allow the owners to institute this option in the next collected bargaining agreement, and something like this could, of course – cause a work stoppage you know it's not something we want but this would definitely stop people from taking drugs if they're not going to get paid for the length of their contract two mlb literally literally and people use this in the wrong uh format all the time but they have to disclaim each and every illegal substance like caffeine like red bull like anything that is going to give you a performance enhancing drive has to be listed. And if it's not listed, a player can take it. And if it's found the next season to be illegal, you put it on the list. Because then you can it holds up that says, no, no, you can't take this. Not where there's this gray area that players like Colabello and Gordon say, I didn't know I can t- I couldn't take that. I didn't know it wasn't I didn't know it was in what I was taking. So there's no more of that because it's listed. Now if that's not fair, we go to number three. We ban all substances that aren't natural. Meaning, if you can buy it in a GNC or you can take it over the counter, it's illegal. Uh, remember like back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s when it was the golden age of baseball and Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and Hank Aaron and Roberto Clemente played? Uh, there was none of this stuff. There was no chemicals. There was no labs that built bigger, faster, stronger players. You know, Ivan Drago from Rocky Four did not exist. So we tell you that you can't take anything. Okay? You don't like that either? Well, there's my final and my, my iron fist resolution. If you are found to take anything PED related, you are suspended for life the first time. There's no three strike rule. One, two, or three, you're done. You're gone for life. There's no arbitration. There's no saying that you can never come back in baseball as a coach. You're done. I mean, that's the only way to possibly institute a rule that is going to be so steadfast and so concrete that people won't do it. So if you can't take away their money, you take away their right to play. And if that's their profession and that's something that they've been doing since the age of eight years old, maybe then we won't see players taking a risk but until one of my four ideas or somebody else's smart ideas are implemented we're going to continue to see people taking a risk because what's 80 games what's a season a rod lost an entire season 
two years ago, came back last year, had a monumental season. Yeah, okay, he lost $25 million. He's okay, guys. He's still making 25 this year and 25 next year. So, Mo, what do you feel out of those four is something that would actually work? I think baseball, like you said, should just list everything and, and be clear about, okay, you can't take these substances. I'm on board. I'm also, like, on board with not taking anything that's not natural. And, again, these players, they, they'll find loopholes. They'll say, well, it wasn't listed on, on the thing, so on the policy, so I guess it's okay. You know, it's hard these days because with technology and all of these uh, – these little companies popping up. Believe you me, there are a lot of little internet sites out here that sell all of these drugs that claim to have all of these effects on the body. So it'll be tough to list everything. I think it's hard to, to get everything under, under the umbrella. The whole one, one time being found guilty and then suspended for life, I think is a huge deterrent because players say you get caught once your career is over you're not going to come back and have and you know sustain sustain the effects of what you took and go on to sign a big deal once you're caught it's over but the problem with that is you're going to have a lot of appeals like if a player gets caught with a substance in their system you're going to have a lot of appeals saying hey wait I, it wasn't my fault and then you're going to have this gray area where was it intentional? Was it not intentional? Because then it goes back to, I hate to relate this to the crime system. There are a lot of innocent people in jails, in the prison system, and they didn't do the crime. If for whatever reason, they're sitting in jail right now. So you you would hate to have a player who, I, who really just didn't know what he was doing, maybe naive. We can't hold all these players to the all-knowing standard that they know what they're doing. Some of these players are immature. And I know, I know what you're probably going to say. If you're not mature enough to play baseball, don't play it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you got to understand not everyone uh, is in the right frame of mind at all times. So that's a little that could be a little too harsh that that one single time when you're banned for life. Again, I would like to have some, you know, uh, provisions to that. Sure. But uh, I, I, I am on board with which is listing as many substances as possible or related substances and say, hey, you just cannot take these. If you're caught taking these, then you're going to pay the price. But I believe, I, again, like I said, I don't think this is going anywhere because it's always going to be a gray area. And the MLBPA, they're, they're very strong. Yeah. So anything that's slightly unfair to the players, they're going to balk back at it. And it's not going to be easy implementing any new rules. Again, baseball is trying to clean it up. But they just can't because as people, we like to have an edge, especially you're dealing with competitive folks. I mean, you get into sports for the competition. So, of course, everyone's looking for that for that out. Well, what can I do to get this next contract? How am I going to feed my family? How can I be better than the next guy? It's a black eye on baseball. But, again, in every sport, there there's good and bad. I like to focus on the Bryce Harpers of the world, the, the Mike Trouts, the Mets killing teams by, like, 10 <laughs> runs. I like to focus on those things. But... Uh, this is the other side of it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think it's just going to happen no matter what you do. Even if you do, okay, say one time you're guilty, banned for life, I think it would still happen. Because, again, you had a player who was banned and, you know, he's, he's trying to fight back or he's trying to promote a great area there. But in anything, there's going to be there's gonna be cheaters no matter what you do yeah. in life. It's, it's very true. It's very true. 
Oh, I'm so I'm so upset right now, Mo. But it's okay. It's okay. We <laughs> move down, on. Calm down, Mike. Yeah, it's I know. Be okay. I know. I, well, I mean, I, it's my Yankees are, are scuffling. Baseball is talked about in <laughs> negative light. Things are tough right now. I mean, you know. Mets are doing well. Mets are doing pretty well. Yeah, well, you know, it. it's it's good. It's the other New York team. It's like the other white meat. You know, pork. It's like Stop. who talks about pork? I mean, really. But regardless, that's it for open mic. We'll be right back. I'm gonna go dry my tears. <laughs> This is The Wrap-Up. For those who listen to the Mike and Mo Show on the regular, we're actually going to skip building momentum this week because we've spoken a lot about everything in general, and we want to hit on this one main topic for The Wrap-Up. Basically, it has to do with being good, being bad, doing things that are right, doing things that are illegal in the world, and especially in the NFL. And with that being said, I want to throw it to Maurice Moten because he is all things NFL, and he's a bad, he's a bad mother. So I want to throw it to Mo. I want to let him talk about what he's got to got to say, and let, just let him take it away. Go ahead, Mo. Well, I mean, I mean, be honest, Mike. We 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 skipped. We're skipping building momentum, which is my segment today, because I I just had to flash my NFL muscles yeah you really did yeah you know covering the draft uh (laughs) thank you for that one Mm -hmm. but um yeah i mean as far as the nfl is concerned we're gonna we're gonna step away from the field a little bit i mean we have been on the field because we've been talking about the draft but as far as non-physical matters uh brady's in the news again of course he hires he hires a a a well-known supreme supreme court lawyer in ted olsen this is the same guy that stopped the recount of Florida in the year 2000 when Bush stole the election. <clears throat> Whoa. And he also uh, defeated the same-sex marriage ban in California. So you know this is serious. Brady's preparing for this to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And uh, and Bomani said this, and, I, and he was pretty right. He pretty spot on about it is a person with a lot of money is going to fight tooth and nail. I mean, Brady is also fighting for his image because obviously you know he... He markets things. So if people view him as a cheater, it could turn people off. So it's it's Mo Money, Mo Buckets all over again. I'm not going to welcome Brady into Mo Money, Mo Buckets because I don't like the Patriots. <laughs> Sorry, Brady, you don't get an invite, but um, you're good. You got you got you got a nice wife, so you're not losing any sleep over this. Mm-hmm. But um, on to Brady. Uh, he's going to fight this tooth and nail, obviously, and he's going to go all. He's going to try to take it all the way to the Supreme Court. And this is crazy because Ted Olson is out here, you know advocating for same-sex marriage and fighting recounts and presidential elections, and now he's worried about deflated footballs. So, yeah, this is probably the low point in his career, but Mm -hmm. when a guy like Tom Brady says, here's a couple of millions to fight this, who's going to say no? Tom Brady, on the other hand, he's got to admit to his faults. I mean, is this guy... You know how they say you lie so much that you start believing in your own lies. Yeah. Does he honestly think we're, you know, boo-boo the fool? Do we have <laughs> stupid written on our foreheads? Yep. Does anyone think Brady's completely innocent and had no idea what was going on with these deflated footballs? Yeah, all the, all the I, Patriots fans. All the Patriots fans think that he's, that he's completely innocent and Roger Goodell is the devil. No, that's not the case. Exactly. Patriots fans are delusional. Mm-hmm. I hate to diss fan bases, but come on, give it up. Tom Brady had something to do with that. The text messages pretty much revealed that when he spoke to these guys who who were basically equipment guys in charge of these footballs. You, you just can't be blind. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I said this before, that fans sometimes are so blind 
And they're loyal. I give them that. They're super loyal. But you got to admit when a person is wrong. And Brady was wrong here. Yeah. No, he, he was. Again, something happened, okay? Something, regardless if it changed the outcome of the game, somebody, people in general, went behind and they... they, they they just changed they changed things that they they had no right doing so regardless if Roger Goodell is out for blood or Tom Brady didn't do it which let's come on let's be honest uh somebody has to pay the piper and this is not going away if this was if this was not going to come to a head when Brady was supposedly overturned this last year it would have been done and dead but for it to come back it just has to it has to come to a conclusion for us to move on for us to stop talking about this and again you have to pay the piper you do the crime you pay you pay the time i mean it just it just is the way it is and i know that Brady's trying to save face but and he's he's not going to he's never going to admit that he did this but again like there's so many bigger issues in the world that we're we are we're bringing a supreme court judge or excuse me supreme court lawyer to the table now like wow i i really hope I really hope that this just comes to an end quickly so that we can get back to matters that really seem to make a difference and not that somebody changed the PSI in a ball to try to put given us give his team an advantage in the Super Bowl. But that's what happens when you have money. That's when you're that's what happens when you're the most powerful game in the entire land. I guess you you can pull these punches and do these things. But you know what? If and when Brady is found guilty, it's going to look kind of stupid. And again, we talk about the Barry Bonds and the Roger Clemens and how they continue to say that they are innocent yet we all know that they're guilty why don't people want to do that with tom brady because you will talk to anybody that's a patriots fan and they will fight you tooth and nail that tom brady's a saint tom brady is a god he's never done anything wrong well i hate to break it to you but all the evidence points to that he did and when and if this four game suspension does hold up uh it's pretty much been you know written in stone that he cheated now will he get four will he get two as some some teams are saying Maybe, but does it really matter at that point? You, you do you do a wrong, you know, you're gonna get suspended. So let's just let's just get this going. You know, let's not drag this out until training camp. Uh, you know, the first couple weeks in the season. If Garoppolo is gonna be the quarterback, great. But let's just have a resolution on this situation and let's learn. You know, Jeremy uh, Laramie Tunson needs to learn from his mistake. Tom Brady needs to learn from his mistake. And it just seems like the longer we put this off, people of, of power and money continue to think that they can get away with these things and that's just such a bad example for everybody that watches these guys on tv at this point brady just can't take the l because he's sure. been fighting it for so long if he takes the l now it would just look so weird like he's giving up so of course he's gonna fight it tooth and nail to say look i didn't do this whether he feels he's right or wrong on this of course patriots fans are gonna stick up for him because think about it he's he's their idol you know yeah. if if a statue goes up of Tom brady in new england tomorrow these people will be worshiping that statue because the guy won Super Bowls. If he was, if he was a bum backup quarterback, you know, like like any like Geno Smith, you know, no one's going to be caping for him saying oh, he didn't do it. But because he's a great at what he does, sure. people will stick up for greatness, and that's what's happening with Tom Brady. Again, it just seems odd that you get a Supreme Court lawyer into this. The guy again, the guy's had some big profile cases, but when a guy like Tom Brady is going to hand you the cash, you don't say no. I, I'll welcome his lawyer, Ted Olsen, into more money, more buckets, but not Tom Brady. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you briefly spoke about Laramie Tunzel, and we spoke about him earlier in the show. And my message to people in the world today, if you're listening, adjust your, adjust your phone, your computer, however you're listening, put your headphones in, listen to me, okay? If you want to be an athlete, if you want to be a public figure, a writer, 
someone in the public eye on TV, stop tweeting these stupid things. Stop doing the the show the money, the smoking weed, the bong, or just tweeting stupid things. Wendell Smallwood, who who's a West Virginia prospect, drafted by the Eagles in the fifth round. I won't I can't say these things on air, but he called a certain community 75% gay. I'll say it. he used the N-word. Okay, he said 75% of these N-words are gay. And that was his tweet. And his other tweet, he he alluded to a, a sexually explicit um, action. And basically, he said he wanted a girl to do something. I won't say what it was. It's not what you think it is. It's more of on the Kanye West. I don't know if you remember the Kanye West fiasco with uh, Amber Rose and the oh, fingers yes. in the butt type of yes, stuff. Yes. Uh, it was kind of it's kind of along those lines. But he tweeted that five years ago, and it comes up on draft day, day three, when he's drafted to the Eagles, and these tweets are circulating. People, when you tweet things, they do not go away. By the way, uh, Wendell Smallwood deleted his Twitter account after these things became public. Of course. For good reason. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it shouldn't have had, it shouldn't come to that. Don't tweet these things. You know you want to be a football player. You know these things are going to come up. Again, with Larry Nance Jr. in NBA, he tweeted about Kobe's rape case and basically made fun of that and poked at that. That came up. Portis of the Bulls said something about it sucks to be, you know, I hate the Bulls or it sucks to be the Bulls, you know, when they were playing the Heat one year. And that came up when he was drafted by the Bulls. If you are an athlete, do not tweet these things because you never know where you're going to end up. Once you become a public figure, your tweets, your Facebook posts, your Instagrams, your Snapchat conversations, your YouTube videos, all of that becomes fair game. People will bring that up and throw it in your face and will embarrass you. And you will have to delete your accounts all off of social media, as Smallwood did. But again, you know, we live in this age where it's the look at me moment. And I spoke about Ezekiel Elliott, what he did with the crop top. Fine. He was in person. He did it. That That's him. That's his personality. I'm okay with that. That's on a lesser extent. But if you're on social media and you're saying derogatory things, things that can embarrass you or your family or anyone else you're associated with, Think twice before you hit the send button because it will come back to you eventually as it did with Tunsil, as it did with Smallwood. So kids, stay away from the social media. If you're, even if you're not going to be an NFL player, NBA player, if you're going for a job interview, these people, these interviewers, these companies will do a background check which includes your social media. So anything you say, you want to talk about people, it's okay to have your own perspective on life. But don't put it on public record on social media because people will look you up and people have feelings about that and they will think a certain way about you. So carry yourself a certain way on social media. You're not just completely anonymous, especially with your profile pics and all of that stuff. They can dig back into it. Search your IP address. I know, this thing, I know these things. I was a computer science major at one point. So I understand how these computers work and how things can get traced back to you. So please understand. Be careful in life, and on social media. Absolutely. Great point. And, and I'll even go further. I'll say the same needs to be said for the families and wives and girlfriends of athletes. Like, Nico Grimes. Yeah, yeah, especially her, especially Beetlejuice. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you need to get a hold of, of, of yourselves. And, and Eli, Eli Apple, who's going to the Giants, not only did he say back in 2012 that – uh, on Twitter, it must suck to be a giant today because they got blown out 42 nothing to the Falcons that day. And by the way, he's now a giant. But his mother even came out and tweeted, uh, I'm so proud of my son. Uh, he's He is the black Eli Manning. Oh, goodness. Like, 
she said that because she she went on to say that he uh, he works hard, as does Eli. But why? Why do we have to continue to throw race into the situation? Why do we have to say yeah. he's the black anything? He's the white anything? He's the orange this? If he, why can't we just say he's like Eli Manning? Or we can't just say he works super hard. We continue to be so poignant about bringing out race and bringing out sexual orientation in this and that when we're comparing and contrasting. Just... Why? Why do we have to build it up? Why Why do we have to point out that he's black? Uh, we know he's black. We've watched him play at Ohio State. We know Eli Manning is white. We've watched him play for a dozen years in the NFL. Like, just think before you tweet. Think before you speak. Like, it's not that difficult. Maybe it is for some people, but it shouldn't be. Because when you bring and you make it bigger than it has to be, people are going to remember this. And much like Carson Wentz already getting booed in Philly, you, you, you've already started out on a negative foot. You've started out where you have to now win back a fan base or win back people who didn't really have any preconceived notions about you until something comes out. And it's just a, it's such a negative connotation and in such a negative way to start out a career that why would you want to put excess pressure on yourself there's enough to stay in the nfl to stay in a sport to stay in a job no matter what you're doing because that's just the way life is life is competitive and if you you don't run with the bulls you're going to get trampled so i just don't understand putting all that undue excess pressure on yourself and and letting other people like family or friends or girlfriends or wives or boyfriends do that it's just unnecessary. So get a hold of yourselves. Get a hold of your wags, your, your friends, whoever it is. And everybody needs to come together as one and, and put that positive energy behind a certain individual that is going to, you know, help everyone out that they possibly can. So three, that's it. Three, I mean, three things for me. Number one, uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to defend Carson Wentz a little bit. He's from, he's from North Dakota. Yeah. So he probably doesn't know anybody. They're probably... He's never been around a huge crowd in his life, so he's gonna he's gotta get used to the Philly atmosphere, and I think eventually he'll get it. He seems like a good kid. Yeah. Uh, again, he's gotta gotta take the headphones out, my man, because <laughs> people are gonna come up to you now. People are gonna know who you are. People are gonna see you and run up to you and want an autograph. So you gotta be alert wherever you're going. Can't just cruise around as, as anonymous anymore. You are th- probably the potential starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. If Sam Bradford gets his way. Yeah, and you're a giant <laughs> six foot four ginger in Philadelphia. So <laughs> let's be real, you're gonna be spotted, my man. Exactly. And another thing I wanna make a point about, you said uh people just make so much about race. It'll be like me getting on or you starting the show and say, Hey, I'm Mike Calandrillo, the white guy, <laughs> the black guy. And people are like, Okay, but people do this all the time and <sighs> made a point about Eli Apple's mom and Again, she didn't have to add race no. to that. Again, you don't have to announce nationality, race, or ethnic background and everything. It's just she could have just said, "Yeah, my, you know, my son works hard. Yeah. He is, you know, he's like Eli Manning. He has a high work ethic." But maybe, maybe she's not used to being in the spotlight because a lot of these uh, families, you know, don't have a spotlight until their sons reach the NFL and become household names or just high-profile rookies. So maybe she just again. Poor choice of words at the spur of the moment, and, you know, she'll be able to clean it up as as he becomes an NFL star, hopefully, for the New York Giants. Yeah. And while you're at it, go on iTunes, download the show, Mike and Mo Show, rate it, review, tell your people. Uh, just a quick update on Facebook. We're up to 4,355 likes. 
on the Mike and Mo <laughs> show. That's that's insane. But we got like 107 on Twitter. So there's a quite the disparity. So I need I need the people on Facebook to show us some love on Twitter so that we can bring the two worlds together. So that is it. Episode 11. May 1st, 2016. Watch those NBA uh, first-round games today. We're going to be back. We'll be back in a couple days. We're going to be talking more NBA. Hopefully, we got some good news in the world of baseball. I'm sure there'll be plenty going on. As always, I'm Mike Calendrillo, the white guy. He is Maurice Moten, the black guy. <laughs> see what I did there? You, you don't really yeah, need to. I see what you did yeah. there. You put race in it. Yeah. So, people, did, just in case you didn't know. Yeah, just you in case you didn't know. Exactly. I'm Italian. I'm African-American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just in case that wasn't put out yeah. there before. If you haven't seen the graphic, then, you know, open your eyes. But you know what? It's been fun, as always. I'm Mike. He's Mo. Together we are the Mike and Mo Show. Until next week, everybody take care. Much love. Peace.